Hey, and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. We had a quick turnover this week from last week for us, so I'm pretty excited to get in because uh, I don't know if you heard anything from uh, from what's going on on. I don't know if you checked Twitter today or maybe even like you know some other website that talks about magic, but a, cu- a couple things happened today. Fifteen things to be precise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for anyone who's kind of under a rock, the thing that we're going to be talking about is uh, the banned and restricted update has happened today, and we were warned something was happening today, but boy, did a lot of things happen, as I've kind of alluded to, and I'm pretty excited to talk through this because uh, five formats got mentioned in this, four of them got you know drastically affected, so we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, maybe if we have time, I'm gonna see what kind of time we have on the show. We can talk about what happened in standard this weekend, because I do kind of want to talk about like what's been going on with the new set and how it's affecting standard. And you'll see why I don't really want to talk about any other format because none of it fucking matters <laughs> what happened over the last weekend. Cause yeah, it's gonna yeah. Be and we knew that going in, which, you know, that's, that's kind of nice because usually the first couple of weeks are all standard and the other, it takes a while for the other formats to get relevant. Mm-hmm. It's, now they're going to be relevant rather quickly because hopefully so. Hopefully so. They're completely different. Um, how was your How was your weekend? Since you and I, uh, we we recorded on Friday, and now here it is. What is this? It's Monday, Monday. six p.m. Yeah, I, I had. To, I was checking the time. It's Monday yeah, at six so, p.m. Well, here. Less less than seventy two hours, or about seventy two hours. Mm-hmm. You know, apart recording, probably and our, lots our, of snow and lots of snowfall in between. Well, snowfall maybe for you, which is yeah, you, also reversed. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. I was say you're kind of in the area that's like somewhat warm right now, right? Um, I mean, it's about what it's been. Like, it's it's not any different than it, than yeah. It it's otherwise it's it would drastically be. different. Last week it was in the 70s. It is in the 20s right now. Here it is very cold. Yeah. Like my dog is even. Whereas I've been in the 40s the entire time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was supposed to say I was just talking to uh, like Shaheen and some people, and they were, um, you know, we play Warzone together. They're like, yeah, it's like it's like nice here, like in the 50s or something. I was like, yeah, I hate you so much. But it is, yeah. In other words, it is cold here. Um, you can't really go anywhere or do anything because we're we're in that area where. If any amount of snow happens, which it wasn't technically snow today, it was like sleet, if you know the but difference. Any, any amount of winter weather. Any amount of like serious winter weather happens. Texas got it worse than us. It's like oh, actually yeah. snowing in Texas and like North Louisiana and stuff. But if any of that happens here, everyone loses their mind. Like everything just shuts yeah. down. Oh, yeah. Like, Society shuts down. It becomes yeah. a lawless post-apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah, like people start running to the grocery store yesterday to buy up like all the bread and water. So I'm like, guys, it's gonna be like bread is not what you days. should buy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Non-perishable like, items. It's like it's like the toilet paper thing earlier. Uh, I mean, at the beginning of last year, you know, I was like, why is everybody buying all that toilet paper? Like that that's the one I don't get. It's like, look, we might not have enough food to last for a few years. We definitely don't have enough water, but I will be able to wipe my ass. All right, <laughs> we've got our priorities with. straight. Everything's Plus, gonna be okay. Ross, I have one thing that I've said my entire life. It's like, look, I don't care when I go, I don't care how I go, but I have to go with a clean ass, okay? Well, toilet paper isn't even the best way to clean your fucking ass, so... Well, we don't have to base here, so... <laughs> anyway, did you get anything uh, done over the weekend? I know you and I have been kind of uh, quarantined a lot, but do anything, uh, have any fun? I know the NBA's been fun for you lately. You've got the uh, what looks like the best team right now. Yeah, I know. I I got everybody together to watch a jazz game, so that was cool. And it's honestly and just fun to the, watch, right? Oh I mean, yeah, you're not a big jazz fan, like they just seem super fun to watch. No, very very much so. And once again, they just like beat a pretty good team, just going away. It didn't even feel like they were like playing that well. Uh, they didn't shoot well at all, and that's been their calling card through most of this streak. But they still beat Miami about like seventeen. 
it was it's just ridiculous at this point. Like I don't even know I, I don't I don't know what to think about it. But I'm I just enjoying it. I do have one question. Do you think this is gonna be one of those years where they actually make like a really good run in the playoffs and then they're gonna lose in the conference finals or lose in the finals and then it's like, oh, we're just the favorites next year kind of thing? Like what you may have expected from the Heat this year if they were like healthy and playing well. You know what I mean? Like after losing in the finals last year. You get what I'm saying? Like one of those teams where like they come out that chip on their shoulder, they seem like a team possessed, which kinda of looked like them this year anyway, but Yeah, um I I could see that happening. You just never know. Like, you know, I know the I right now I think the only team that I would say is a definitive favorite in a seven game series against the Utah Jazz is the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm-hmm. There are several other teams that are going to be very competitive and have a very good chance to win, but you would not call them a definitive favorite in that series. So, you know, do you, and do, do you think anyone on the West can beat the Lakers other than y'all? So like, there's like this random the, chance that you could not play the Lakers in the conference finals, maybe. Yeah. So the the Clippers actually match up pretty well against the Lakers, and they're they're the third best team in the NBA. Yeah. There's really the, the top three teams in the West. I think are better than any team in the East. That's that's where I was. I was like thinking I was like yeah. Clippers. I don't know how Denver matches up because I know Denver's still really good. Jokovic has just been on another level. Yeah, which is yeah, impressive yeah. for him. Uh, yeah, Denver has some defensive issues, uh, right now that they need to fix, but they are still a very good team and we'll see how that, you know, materializes over the course of the season. Maybe they make a, a midseason trade or get somebody on the buyout market or, uh, but they're, they're one of those next year down teams that, you know, if they got a, if they upset one of the LA teams or Utah, nobody would be that surprised, but it would be yeah. an upset. Um, if they 4-0 them, maybe they'd be surprised. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, they have like a good series. You're like, yeah, obviously it's a team with a lot but, of talent. You know? But no, the, the Clippers are definitely, you know, not far behind L, uh, the Lakers and, and Utah. And that's why I think it's going to be important to get the one seed. That way, if the two LA teams are two and three, they'll play each other in the semis. Yeah, and Utah will only have to finals. play the winner. Yeah. Um, and I do think the Clippers match up pretty well uh, against, against the Lakers. So... Uh, we'll see how that goes. We've also now got the the Anthony Davis uh, reaggravating the Achilles injury. He hasn't been 100 percent this entire year. I have him on one of my fantasy teams, and he's he's day to day on like every game. They're like, yeah, his yeah. hips bother him today. His back's bother him tomorrow. You know, his Achilles I, now. And I think the short off season got him. He, he just needed. He he was probably dealing some nagging stuff at the end of the last year anyway, and then he didn't have enough you know time to properly rest. He um, might need a, a quick shutdown for like a week or two here. Well, no, he's well, he's getting shut down because of the Achilles that he reaggravated yesterday, and they lost to Denver last night um, in a blowout. Actually, he left left midway through. He had been first, dealing with yeah. he had been dealing with tendinosis, um, which I guess is different than tendinitis. I didn't look into why, yeah. and I'm not a doctor. Not a doctor, yeah, not yeah. A doctor. <laughs> but you know, a nagging Achilles injury, and they they had had him miss, I think, look two games or something. And then he had come back. I'm not sure of the exact timeline, but re-aggravated it. And they announced that he was getting an MRI today. They haven't announced the results, but they did say he's going to get, you know, it's unlikely that he plays until the end of the All-Star break, which is the 10th of March. So he's going to get shut down probably for a good three weeks, Um, which means he's going to, the Jazz were set to play the Lakers next Wednesday. So we're going to miss out on that because we miss out on both teams being full strength. Mm -hmm. Um, He's hopefully Conley's back by then as well. But just yeah, you know, I like you know when it, when the streak was first happening, it was great, and now I'm just like I'm kind of sh- I'm just sort of shell shocked by it. It just keeps mm-hmm. happening. I'm just like when are, just, when are they going to come down to earth? 
here here's the thing i i have found through my fandom in you know history of of liking teams and I've been pretty lucky in the teams that I've been big fans of, right? You know, the Atlanta Braves, like, we only won one championship during that historic run that we made in the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, you know, being an LSU Tiger fan, you know, we've got three national championships during, you know, my tenure, two while I was a student, which is which was pretty absurd going to every game during that kind of stuff, is while they're going good, even if they don't want a championship, just try to enjoy, like, what's going on you know what i mean and i think that oh, i can yeah. i can kind of hear it in your voice a little more than usual like you're a little more pes- like you're a little less pessimistic than usual a little less <laughs> like yeah they're winning now but i'm waiting for the sky to fall so you're like no this team is actively freaking good yeah i mean all the all the um all the metrics on them and all the the you know uh all the stats show that like this is not fluky in any real way yeah the the, the talk uh, outside of their it. health They've yeah, been the talking they, around it from the whole league. It's like everybody like agrees with you. Everybody's like, yeah, this yeah. is the, the this this isn't a question. This is the best team right now. And yeah. you just watch them on the court, like, and they just move the ball so well, and like they had just have no weaknesses. Like, there's never anybody it, uh, on the court that can't attack a closeout, make an open shot, you know, find an open man. There's never anybody that you can ignore. Yeah, I think Giannis was like they, they when they beat Denver a couple of days ago. He said something about that's the best team, and then he was talking about he's like it just looks like so much fun. Like, they look like they're actively having a ton of fun. And I, you, you can tell he kind of wants that. And, like, I wonder if he were – like, I, I still think he's going to ask for a trade in a year or two, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But anyway, let's go ahead and start moving into what we need to talk about this week because we've got a lot to cover. Yeah. And a lot happened. And I'm going to kind of just, like – should I just read off the whole thing or should we go uh, format well, to format? Yeah, let's go format by format. All right, so I'm just going to go from the order that it is on the thing, even though we don't play these formats a ton. But um, Historic had two bands today. Omnath, which was suspended, is now banned, and Uro is banned. So yet another format where Uro's grip will go away, Omnath will go away, and I've heard a lot of people who play a lot of Historic, because here's, here's the honest truth. I don't play a lot of Historic, I've almost never played it, but Ditto. I do follow most people on Twitter who play the MPL and stuff like that, so they are like the only people I know who, you know, play a hard amount of Historic, because otherwise there's really not a lot of reasons to play it, other than, you know, the MPL splits and stuff. Yeah. And... Almost everyone has said, this is not enough. Like something like Muxus or one of the cards from Goblins may have needed to go or something else. So everyone's saying that now it's just Goblins versus like the Sacrifice decks. And that's pretty much it. But I am not a historic scientist. So, Yeah. So the chatter that I've seen surrounding historic has always been like the Uro decks were overrated. Like so Sultai, right? Is the big one. Yeah. That's what I've heard too. They're like, they're like, it's good, but it's not good enough. You know yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. The granted Uro is really stupid. So I'm, I'm glad it's banned in any format that it's banned in, which is now basically all of them. Um, Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, but w- with historic, it, it just seems weird given how wide ranging they were with all the other formats. It felt like Historic might be the one where they needed to be the most wide-ranging. Because they've created this format where it's this Frankenstein format, right? Where you have the last couple years of standard sets. By the way, that's the best description of it I've heard so far. It's a Frankenstein format. That's amazingly accurate. Anyway, continue. So you have this last couple years of of standard sets, and that's going to give you a certain power level. But Mm -hmm. then those jumpstart sets and the remastered sets and all that happy horse shit yeah Yeah, yeah. all the supplemental crap just injected you know a dozen really powerful cards into the format it was like you know pact of negation and muxus and frexian tower and i don't know if you remember when jumpstart was happening we were actually still doing we were doing the show like we had a show already 
And uh, like that happened within the year of us recording is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And we kind of touched on it for like a second because we were like, oh, I don't know if the, you know many of these cards are going to affect you know Pioneer because they're not Pioneer legal or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I for like two seconds talked about it and I was like, yo, I don't hear anyone talking about it, but this Muxus card seems really, really good. <laughs> Right, you know, because like I looked at all the other, I was like, "There's a goblin deck here." Like, I'm not gonna say I saw this coming, but I was just like, a couple of these cards because it, it's it, it seems like every bigger supplemental set, right, or these commander things. There's always like, you know, there's a hull breacher, right? There's a true name nemesis. There's a muxus. Like, there's some card in there that's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, collected company is another one, right? That's in one of those sets because it's not uh, in historic. It otherwise, in, no, no, no. It got put in. Um, what's the the god the god pharaoh set? Um, Amonkhet. Yeah, it got put into Amonkhet when they remastered Amonkhet. Yeah, but it's not in. It's not part of Amonkhet. It was in. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's Dragons it's from of Dark here. Technically, a supplemental set, but it's not one of the like fake. Yeah, sets. yeah, it's not a completely new card, but it's still yeah. just like we've just taken really, really powerful cards from Magic's history, and then a couple new cards, mostly just Muxus, I think. Cards and, we wanted to put in sets, yeah, and just like injected them into this format, and they're at a power level that is generally above the rest of what exists in that exactly. format. And so these are clearly the cards that dictate the metagame. Like Thoughtseize, you know. Yeah, th- Thoughtseize, there you go. Another, yeah, another one. And that's a really important one for the Arcanist decks. And, and so, like, you know, th- this imbalance, because you've just sort of, uh, you know, adulterated the the set by adding these cards that are way out of balance with the rest of, of the cards that are available, creates, uh, I think, a big problems for competitive balance. Because I, do- I cannot imagine trying to build a deck in historic that is not built around or as a or with a significant part of those you know dozen really really powerful cards agreed and that's why it makes sense to me that like uro wasn't completely dominant in the format because it's a while uro overall is you know as powerful or more powerful than those cards it's not as enabled in historic without fetch lands and yeah it's some of the things it doesn't modern yeah, it's it, it's the other decks operate on axis where like they're like, oh, you're putting more lands into play and drawing all these extra cards and getting value. I don't care. I'm going to overwhelm you with Muxus, uh, with Muxus, or I'm going to combo you out with like this, you know, Jun Sacrifice or Racto Sacrifice type deck. So like they can yeah. they can kind of invalidate that strategy. I will say this: it is nice to see some uniformity. Again, spoiler alert: that Uro is just not a magic card anymore, pretty much. So like after talking about that, let's go ahead and just move on. We can we can always circle back a little bit, but like yeah. let's move on to what happened in Pioneer because you and I talked about this, and I I kind of saw this coming. You know we we don't keep our finger to the pulse of Pioneer like we used to. Like honestly, there hasn't really been much reason to, right? Like there's not a lot yeah. going on besides a few random tournaments on Magic Online. But boy, did they shake up Pioneer, and they did some stuff that you and I talked about as a possibility, and I actually thought would happen. And I'm a little surprised by one or two cards here, but not by some of the other ones. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to undo the I'm going to I'm going to mix up the order that they have listed here, because the first two cards that came off is something that I actually talked about as a possibility. You and I talked about this is Balustrade Spy and Undercity Informer are both yeah. banned. Really sort of a one card ban, but, you know, banning both examples of it to get rid of the, the Oops All Spells deck. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Common. Yeah, I, I think that deck was very good. And. Honestly, like would have been a, a higher portion of the metagame were there more high-level competitive events and the, the yeah, like format got put through the ringer. 
Yeah, yeah. If you had more incentive to be just just win at all times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, th- there was a point where it was doing really really well, and you saw like one or two in every top eight. And I think you know what probably happened was right at that point everybody started playing a bunch of graveyard hate, and then when it went back out of the meta game, it never really picked back up to its previous levels, even if it should have, because it's the kind of deck that people don't generally want to play. And right now, there's no incentive to be that ruthlessly, you know um objective with your deck choices in pioneer so usually a format people go to just kind of play the deck they like to play yeah. and have a little bit of fun and you know maybe top eight a challenge or something um get, so, get some packs along the way yeah 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 so if you just look at the straight numbers from the format i doubt you're going to see numbers where that are overwhelming for these two but the play patterns for that deck are absolutely heinous the incentives to the metagame are heinous good riddance uh, agreed and it's just another combo deck that gets pushed out uh, from a which makes sense with the prior bannings of the of the set of, and within this within this format because like it just seems like the the combo decks just might not need to be there. There might be a format where they don't want the combo decks, and you can kind of see that with the the ban of wilderness Necro- wilderness wilderness reclamation got banned here. So that deck is no longer a thing because that's been putting up absurd uh, absurd uh, results as well, along with Uro getting banned. Big surprise, and this one. Kind of surprised me a little bit, but I think they're they're kind of just want it gone and they want its play patterns gone, like you said, and it's Teferi Time Raveler as well. So that's five total cards for Pioneer getting banned here. Um, a lot of the top decks got severely hurt here. Yeah, and, and really, if you read really the hurt. if you read the explanation, they have the one deck that they do mention are the Niv to Light decks, trying to reduce the power of those. And that's yeah. where the ban of of Teferi came, um, you know, uh, apparently. And, uh, you know, also they're, so they're also going to lose Uro and Teferi, which are two, you know, very important cards for that deck. And that More makes sense. More on that later, too, by yeah, the way. You know, given that the, their uh, interaction with Valky is going to stay intact. So I think, you know, uh, you know, putting those decks out a little bit and then the Reclamation decks, which were probably the best performing decks in the metagame for the last month or two, uh, that Soltai Reclamation deck was doing really, really well. Makes a lot of sense. Talking about that when we were talking about like one of the bands in Pioneer, we were still doing the Pioneer show, and you were like, "Oh, you know, where do we go from here?" And I was like, two words: wilderness reclamation." <laughs> we kind of saw this. We kind of saw this coming. Yeah, you know, it it, it took a little while to uh, to come to fruition. There's also teamerless, you know, uh, so mm-hmm. the two di- two different versions really going on there. But it it seemed to to me that in recent weeks, those decks had had sort of taken over and really figured out how to beat the aggro decks. So losing Uro, losing Teferi to make them easier to target from the other angle as well um, is going to help quite a bit in just opening up the metagame and creating a little bit more churn to where like Nymphalite decks without Uro are probably going to be pretty weak to aggro, I would imagine. Uh, the, and, you know, the... Uh, so you might have like mid-range decks that are good in mid-range mirrors, mid-range decks that are better against aggro, and that uh, that's going to create more metagame churn because the decks have you know significant weaknesses that you can attack them on. Uh, you know the, the aggro decks all stay intact. I would imagine a deck that might be a big winner here is like Spirits because I think Teferi... it actually did win the tournament this weekend if I remember right. I didn't check the exact results, but I remember someone posting about it. Yeah, getting Hengegate Pathways really helped the Blue White Spirits deck in particular. Um, mm-hmm. So Hengegate uh, Pathway, you know, recently getting Lofty Denial, and now not having to deal with Teferi's out of a lot of these decks. That seems great. I think this is oh, probably yeah. the one of the better times we've been playing Spirits and Pioneer uh, in the last year. 
Um, but I, I, oh, I, I do hope to get just really just more variety out of the non-aggressive decks. You know, we've got that, you know, burn deck, the mono black deck, the uh, you know, heroic deck, different auras builds. Uh, you've got spirits if you want to be a little bit disruptive with your aggressive deck. There's a mono red build in addition to the, like Boris Burn. Um, so there is a decent variety in aggressive decks in this format. But because of how ubiquitous Uro is, basically every single mid-range deck in the format was an Uro deck. Mm-hmm. And that kind of you know wilderness reclamation is a little bit was a little bit more go over the top. There's like the Uro Omnath deck that was four colors, Niftalites five colors, but they're all really centered around uh, Simic because they're you know the growth spiraling or Uroing or both. Um, now I th- there I'm hoping there's a little bit more room. Like maybe there's a chance that like Siege Rhino can finally sneak into Pioneer. Uh, I don't think so, but sure. Yeah, I'm I'm still skeptical, but. If you if you wanted to try that right now, I don't think it would be embarrassing. I, I think I think there's a chance you're going to see a Dreadhorn Canis deck show up. Uh, yeah, I think the deck spin is is kind of primed for that. If you can make it to where it's good enough against spirits, you know, just a you know removal spell, removal spell, removal spell against spirits, it might be good enough. You know, just a, a bunch of fatal pushes into like continue to fatal push your stuff. I don't know. We'll see. Um, that kind of stuff. Mono green might still be pretty good in this format. Yeah, it's got to be a big a, winner. I think it's important that you, you you mentioned this earlier. It is important to point out that the Niv Delight still has the super powerful play of being able to put uh, Valky into play and then turn it into Tibalt. Because we'll get into that in just a little bit because no other format's doing that right now. There's a few other ways to possibly cheat around with this card, but they're, they're, they fixed the main way, and we'll get to that in just a second. But Pioneer looks interesting. Might have to might have to revisit this format and see what's up. And man, when Paper comes back. If this if this format's still around, if it's in a good spot, it, it might make a decent little comeback. I'm I think that's what Watsi is kind of prepping for. I think they're gonna like when we get paper tournaments, they're gonna start pushing a lot more Pioneer because that was al- always their plan to begin with. Um, and it's I'm just hopeful. Cleaner. Yeah, it's yeah, cleaner than the other formats. And uh, because I do still think the format has a ton of potential, there just hasn't been any incentive to play it for the last mm. year. So. Uh, or yeah, about less, yeah, little less than that. But uh, you know, once that incentive comes back, I like, I just love having getting to play formats without fetch lands. Mm-hmm. And you, you'll get this a little bit more. But one of the biggest losers to me out of all these formats and all the bannings has been breeding pool. Breeding pool really got nerfed today. <laughs> yeah, I mean the you know when Uro is the card that gets banned in every format, you know the dual yeah. land that casts it is, is going to take a hit. So uh, uh, I th- I think everybody's okay with that, Tannen. I think so, too. I think so, too. But uh, speaking of it getting banned in every format, let's go ahead and move on to Modern. Yep, Uro got banned in this format as well. Big surprise. But uh, four other cards took the axe here. It's a little bit higher than I thought we were going to have, a little bit more. But I got to say, I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with all these, the way the format had been kind of working out. Uro's gone. Tybalt's Trickery. This is the one that surprised me, that it got banned. Maybe it surprised me a little bit, but I think people were just kind of sick of it and over it. But Tybalt's Trickery is banned. Um... A card here that I'm about to mention got banned that, <clears throat> excuse me, you and I and a bunch of people talked about for years. This one should have been on the list. Oh, excuse me. I need to drink a little bit of water here. Give me one second. I believe you're be referring to Simeon's Spirit Guide. Yeah, thanks for thanks for uh, catching up on me, hopefully. <clears throat> excuse me. I got a little something in my throat. Yeah. Yeah, but Simeon's Spirit Guide is banned. And then uh, two lands got banned from here. And these are cards that people have been calling for for quite a while, too, because they're build around me cards. Uh, they're harder to interact with, and people don't generally like playing against these on the play patterns like they do. And that's Field of the Dead and Mystic Sanctuary. 
Yeah. Um, you know, pretty. I'm a pretty big fan of this set of bands for modern. You know, Uro, we don't have to go further into. We're, that card just gets, you know, erased from history, as it should. Tybalt's Trickery, with the way they did the rule change for Cascade, like, that wasn't going to stop Trickery. So deal with that one directly. You know, even outside of Cascade, I can imagine with enough later printings, Tybalt's Trickery being problematic. Glad that one's gone. Just a nonsense card that shouldn't be allowed to target your own spells to begin with. Yeah. Simeon Spirit Guide is the one that actually surprises me the most. Um, you know, if they're taking care of Tybalt's Trickery and the Cascade interaction... Then we're looking at Simeon Spirit Guide as it's existed in Modern for quite a while. And while you're right that they're like, this has always been a card that gets brought up is like, is this too good? Should we ban this? Uh, you know, it goes into a lot of decks that win really quickly, like Neo Brand before, um, a lot of Gristle Brand decks really. Uh, before that, the, the, the Grishol brand decks. It also, you know, sees playing Ad Nauseum was really important in that deck. Yeah, that's one people were talking about today is like, when you ban Simeon Spirit Guide here, you, you heard a lot of like the tier 2, 2.5 like combo decks too. Yeah, so really, you know, but it, like those decks aren't dominant by any means. I guess um, the Oops All Spells deck is another one that used SSG really well. Maybe they wanted to, uh, you know, hurt that deck a little bit, just like they, they, I mean, they basically ripped it out of Pioneer, but maybe they thought, you know, let's hurt, just hurt it a little bit in Modern. That, that makes more sense to me because that deck, you know, is a, a lot more... Um, the play patterns with it are a lot worse than ad nauseum say um so th that seems to be the logic there generally fine with it you know the, the decks that it exists in are, are not trying to play fair usually trying to win very quickly it definitely fits the mold the kind of card that can be banned uh the two that i love though and i'm very happy to see are field of the dead and mystic sanctuary because i've hated these cards for so long yeah, also the, the play patterns with these, you know, we talk about this a lot. Like, the play pattern, especially when I talk about Mystic Sanctuary, is just god-awful, right? Like, we talked about this. I remember seeing this card in the spoiler and talking about it, and uh, I kind of misread it at first for, like, half a second and thought it was just, like, the most busted card of all time. I built, like, multiple Delver decks with this card. <laughs> but the fact that it's an island really pissed me off. I think this is a cool designed card if they just don't make it an island. Like, the fact that you could fetch land for this is what really, really yeah. broke it and made it just absurd. Oh, completely agree. And the play patterns against this, like and the blue soup decks, right? Which already got hurt pretty pretty good in this in this in this uh in this banning, right? Like a lot of them have Field of the Dead in them to kind of do some stuff. They always have like Uro and stuff like that too. But like now three of their win conditions are gone. Uro, Mystic Sanctuary, and Field of the Dead, because they could lock you with like Field of the, uh, I'm sorry, with Mystic Sanctuary and like you know, the Crypto Command loops and doing whatever the hell you want to do there and a bunch of other ways. And you got up to a bunch of mana really fast of Uro to do this. And then you'd have a Field of the Dead that you could, like, make two twos while you're still just making all your land drops and stuff, right? So good riddance to this land. People have been complaining about this since literally day one. And so I think it's about time we got this one out of here. Yeah, the, the issue with both of these cards is that they create uh, end games that are both incredibly powerful and very, very difficult to interact with. Uh, you know, fill the dead with any way to search for them, or you just draw it naturally and eventually takes over the game. Um, Mystic Sanctuary, I think, is more egregious for the interaction that you mentioned, it being an island and thus fetchable, because what it meant was when you went to the late game against blue decks, they just never bricked. Never. They could, they could never, like, they, yes, yeah. right? Because they drew a spell, or they drew, like, they drew a land, 
to 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 you know do the the loop thing of like put a fetch into play, get an island, put this on top of my deck, you know, put the card, and then he, they even had other ways to like draw the card immediately and stuff too. I mean, there were so many absurd yeah. ways to make this card busted. So you you really could not try to play a long game against any Field of the Dead or Mystic Sanctuary deck. Mm-hmm. That's why you saw all the non-blue, non-Titan, you know, mid-range decks completely pushed out of the format because they were not able to, you know, grind people out with Liliana and Creature Lands and Bloodbraid Elf. That was just an embarrassing way to do it. Eventually you would flood and they never would because yeah. at some a certain point they would just set up a loop where they drew the card they wanted every fucking turn uh, or they made, you know, hordes of zombies. So the metagame then um, bifurcated between decks that had one or both of these cards to enable that you know unbeatable endgame and decks that just wanted to end the game really quickly you know the the Rakdos sort of Luris decks they can play into a longer game a little bit they're not you know hyper uh, linear but they're trying to end the game quickly the you know uh, the hammer time decks they're ending the game quickly and different combo decks have had some success but shadow yeah, yeah there was no real space for that traditional mid-range strategy. And as much as I hate those mid-range decks, they are a very important um, element of the metagame. And again, important that they be diverse so that you can try different things and Uro just homogenize them. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with all this, like thinking about where the format's going to go from here. As long as obviously something else doesn't, you know, crop up as obviously busted, you know, uh, or, you know, jump in as like, oh, this all of a sudden... Because every now and then that corner case happens, right? Where you ban a bunch of cards and you're like, oops, we kind of missed something. You know, they're like, <laughs> oh, this, this is busted out. But let's, you know, I saw a lot of... What's the right word I'm looking for here? I saw a lot of people that were optimistic on Twitter today talking about Modern because they were like... Oh, you know, I get to I get to play my pet deck from like 2018 again now or 2019, right? Like like Jund guy came out of like Jund guy entered the chat. You yeah. know what I mean? Like today, you know, Jund coming back. We're talking about like Shadow coming back, Burn, like all these decks that were kind of pushed out of pushed out of the you know tier one and really good strategies are, are possible to play again. You know, seeing people saying um, today that you know did Celestial Colonnade get unbanned in the format? You know, like someone's like, is Jeskai Control back? It's 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 not. But, you know, there's people talking about this, and I was just like, man, you guys just want to get Karned on three, don't you? Like, all these decks <laughs> people were talking about, like, you just really want to lose to Tron, don't you? So yeah. we'll see about that. But I think we're going to be back into a format where, like, you have a lot of things to do, um, a lot of fun stuff. Like, Chalice of the Void is going to probably be very good again. You know, we're looking at, like, the format moving back towards a lot of the decks that are going to have, like, a, a very good one uh, turns one and two. And not just trying to go super long here because you're not trying to like Uro, you're not trying to Mystic Sanctuary four drops and stuff into your deck, or you're not trying to go you know really over the top or really under the under the floor. So I think we're going to see a, a reversion of modern here quite a bit. Yeah, and ultimately, you know, I think that's a good thing. Modern had this you know established player base, and uh, you know it was popular for very specific reasons because people could you know. who identify strongly with a deck could build that deck keep tuning it and it would generally at least stay viable for years on end it would rotate out of you know tier one tier two fringe whatever term you want to use and and that would change as you know new printings happen bannings and other new decks came up and uh all those variables that go into the metagame but you knew that you could play it and you had a decent chance of winning with it and what happened over the last couple years really starting with War of the Spark and Modern Horizons and culminating at Uro um, was that 
modern lost its soul a little bit. It lost that element of what made it great because that year of sets just dominated everything and completely reshaped the modern landscape more so than we had ever seen. Like I think Fatal Push fundamentally reshaped modern and it took a while for us to figure it out. And the, one of the reasons that Death Shadow decks were so good for that time that they were was because they were the best Fatal Push deck and we still hadn't fully figured out the effects that, that Fatal Push had on the metagame. Um, so, but th this was, you know, on a completely other level than that. And the, it, it, there was no single offender. It was, you know, it was Uro, it was Field of the Dead, it was Mystic Sanctuary, it was Oko, it was Hogak, it was Urza, it, you know, it was all of those things. And they've all been dealt with in kind. Uh, but now I think to, to a large extent, we get to to go back to that format, you know, where there's Tron decks and Amulet Titan decks that, you know, have to tutor and cast giant walking blisters instead of just making 7,000 zombies. And yeah, but like they still have Dryad and Valakit, but I don't think that's nearly as robust as uh, as the, the Field of the Dead plan. So um, and then, we, you know, maybe a Jund deck can be a thing. I doubt it, but uh, people certainly will try that. I know for sure. Uh, I think Death and Taxes, it looks pretty good, actually, at least in the early metagame, because I think it matches up pretty well against some of the decks that survive intact, and that's what people will cling to first. But really, it's going to be a solid, I would say, month or two before we have things pretty well figured out. 100% agree. Um, I was just like spitballing with a friend today, and they were like, you know, uh, they were talking about the, the financial repercussions of this, you know, the, you know, Obviously, these cards aren't going to be worth anywhere near the amount of money they were. You know, you're looking at Euro going from a $60 card to like a $10 card, like overnight and stuff. And they're talking about cards that you could, you know, try to recoup some of your value from, like invest into. This, this is the financial corner of the show for like two seconds. And they were like, yeah. what cards do you think? I was like, just literally off the top of my mind, right? Cards that have dropped drastically in value that might go back up. Uh, Liliana the Veil, uh, probably a little bit on the lower end, but you never know. Karn, you know, if Tron comes back, but... One that got me that has, like, the card has steadily been on the decline in play and value, and that might be coming back as Snapcaster Mage. Because this is a card that dominated Modern for a very long time, and we haven't seen in a very long time. And it might be it might be coming back. You know, there might be some Snapcaster decks coming back. Well, I gotta tell you, I own zero ROs, but I own four Liliana the Veil and four Snapcaster Mage, so let's I go. All, <laughs> I have four of all of that stuff, by the way. I have, like, I have, like, four ROs. I, I don't have uh, Omnath, but, like, all the other stuff, like Uro, Oko, I have four of those. I even have some foil ones, because, like, randomly I would, like, I, like, busted a foil one. I was like, all right, well, this would be, like, my, my fourth one unless I get a normal one. I've got, like, some other foils of the other, because, like, I'm such a pack rat, I just, like, don't get rid of stuff, and I... I knew it too. I was like, I should just get rid of these euros while they're high because I could like borrow them if I ever needed them. But I'm one of those people. It's like, it's so much work, and I can't tell you how many times I've gone to an event and been like, you know, like I'm playing Legacy. And I'm like, I need one euro, or you know, I need like these two or three Okos for my. Like, do you remember the the, the first event where uh, that, I mean that last team event where Brendan came back and it was brand new, and I was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna play like Oko and Ren and Six in my in my Delver deck or whatever, and you were like, really? I was like, yeah. Well, like Ren and Six is obviously already good, but I was like, I think I'm gonna play Oko in this, and like I played like one game, and I was like, yeah, this card's busted or whatever. So I was like, I was glad I owned Okos, you know, and stuff like that. So, but now I am now, looking for. Go ahead. No, no, you, you finish up. I was gonna say I'm just really looking forward to where Modern's gonna go from here. I think it's gonna like it's going to look very different than what we've seen in the last year, 
but it's still going to be very recognizable, I think is yeah. a good way to put it. Yeah, it's going to going to feel familiar. I would say all we have left is to unban Mox Opal and Faithless Looting, and then we'll we'll have Modern back <laughs> again. Um, well, if we do that, we probably need to do something about Dredge, maybe, but like, meh. Yeah, but like I think ba- Phoenix ban Stinkweed, okay. ban Stinkweed Imp and ban Urza and unban Faithless Looting and Mox Opal and, and let's go. Because that's the thing. Let people play their fucking affinity decks. Yeah, like it, it's it's like the Simeon Spirit Guide thing. Like I'm okay when you play that card in a fair way, which no one ever played Simeon Spirit Guide fair. I yeah. I liked Affinity having Mox Opal. It was cool. Like they they had these busted draws. Because like here's the thing, if you're gonna put Mim Knight and like that other do- those other dog shit cards in your deck, I'm okay with you having a like. A, a chance at a busted draw, you know. Then yeah. where there's like, because like, I can't tell you how many times I played against Affinity, even even in modern. I can't tell you how many times I played against Affinity, and they just put six cards in play on turn one, and like it still wasn't good enough. You know, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just not, and like that's okay. Like I'm okay with that. That you know, if we can ensure that Mox Opal's played fairly, I'm okay with it. Yeah, bring it back. You know, if if Faithless Looting is just churning through your deck and then might make a three two attack you on like turn two or three, I think I'm okay with that too. You know, like, yeah, ev- everybody talked about like Arclight Phoenix not playing fair, and to me, it didn't feel like that unfair of a deck. It was just really, really consistent and good against creatures. I think it was honestly. Look, here, here's the thing, and uh, I mean, I could argue this, and I, I would be open to to hearing both ends of this argument and willing to admit that I'm wrong. But like, I think Arclight Phoenix was good for the modern format. Like having a deck like that just be good, like as a litmus test, you know, because like it's not like it was busted. You know, what I mean, it's not like it was just winning everything and super good. It's just people hadn't, you know. Like, in fact, people started to figure out how to really beat it towards the end of its reign. Yeah, it, w- it was really good for about two months, and then War of the Spark new, yeah. helped out a lot of things. I think Karn, Karn the Great Creator and Ensnaring Bridge ended up being really good, and then uh, Narset was good against it. And uh, and even by then, people were start like the metagame was adapting uh, to to keep it from being dominant. It ended up being in this awkward spot where. At, like that, the fact that the metagame had been figuring out Arclight Phoenix got immediately overshadowed by the rise of Hogak, and then yeah, everybody was you know way. up in arms about getting rid of Hogak, and Faithless Suiting got banned as part of that. And they referenced you know Faithless Suiting decks and Arclight Phoenix when they banned Faithless Suiting, but by the time Faithless Suiting was banned, Arclight Phoenix had not been playable in modern for two months. Yeah, it was kind of like a it was like oh I I guess while we're here you know yeah. we'll, we'll 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 take this card out too and. I'm okay with what it did in that deck. I'm not okay with what it did in the Dredge decks, like we kind of mentioned. But yeah, like just I ba- said, just ban Stinkweed Imp. Like, yeah. we know Dredge is the broken mechanic. So, and you've already banned Grave Troll. Like, just ban both of them. You've banned it. You've unbanned it. And you've banned it again. So, like, let's learn <laughs> yeah. these things. And we're starting to see that. You know, like, here's the thing. From looking at what's happened so far, and we haven't got the legacy yet, but looking at this at this list overall, and looking at the cards they're banning, I'm starting to see that. They're willing to be less ham-fisted, I think is the way I want to call this, you know, and when they're looking at their bands, because, like, when I look at the Pioneer bands, I see Balustrade Spy and Under City Informer, like, they're starting to, it seems like, get it a little bit more with, like, the things that maybe need to go, and it's like, you don't always have to ban the payoff, like, you can, you can ban, like, some other stuff, and then, and then they realized when, oh, we do have to ban the payoff, because there's going to be problems in the future when you look at something like Tibalt's Trickery, you know, because we talked about this when they banned Bridge, from below, and I was like, "That is not a, like that's not okay." In fact, it actually made the Hogak deck, Hogak deck better. They stopped <laughs> doing all this other stupid nonsense and just try to kill you on turn three yeah. instead of like, "Oh, I could you know be more consistent on like with turn four and five kills." I'm like, "Well, I'll just kill them on turn three or whatever." So, um, I, I'm liking this new. I'm not liking the amount of cards that we're having to ban. It sucks that there's this many, 
but I will say this. I'm liking the new way in which they're approaching it, where it seems like they're taking a more nuanced approach. Like, they're, they're really thinking it through, and they're trying to think of repercussions that are going to happen from every card, what's going to happen with it, you know, and things like that. It's not just, oh, this deck's doing really well. What's, what's, the, what's the main card in this deck? All right, get rid of that one. You know, it's yeah. not just that. There's definitely a very holistic approach here. They're like, you know, we have a a broken metagame for X, Y, and Z reasons. How do we get to a good metagame? And if we take action A, what are the repercussions of that? Does that actually lead to where we want? What what actions do we then, supplementary actions, do we need to take alongside of it to, you know, uh, most readily ensure a a healthy metagame moving forward? So I agree that's the approach they're taking, and that is good. Um, but yeah, obviously the, the number of cards that they're banning in this, in this announcement is concerning. It's concerning, but it does, it does see that like, they're starting to realize maybe, you know, late 2019, early 2020 was kind of a mistake. Maybe we messed up a little bit here with a lot of these cards and we're going to see even more of this list. Go ahead. I'm not sold that that's the lesson they're learning here. I think, I think the reason that we're seeing this huge ban announcement right now is because, they are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel vis-a-vis paper magic returning. You know, we've got the vaccine moving, you know, through the country, albeit rather slowly. 2022 is what you're saying? Yeah, and they know that a return to paper magic means that these metagames need to be healthy so that people want to play them. And I think what's happened over the last year or so is that they have so heavily focused all of their resources on online formats, namely standard uh, and a little bit of historic that they basically just let everything else languish. They just mm-hmm. kind of let, like you know said we're going to leave it be. We'll get to it when we you know when we get to it. We've got bigger fish to fry right now, and this large ban is the result of that. Where these are things that probably should have been banned months ago or a while ago, and maybe they came up with some reason not to do anything about it and just sort of like hand waved said, yeah, we're looking into it. But at this point, we don't see the need to you know, to make changes when the reality is we haven't even thought about modern in four months, but we'll get to it eventually. Uh, But obviously they can't say that. That to me is what is going on here. Yeah. That's the PC answer, right? Like that's like, take it from someone who's like, you know, done some stuff and like, you know, managed some teams before. And I had to watch over people's tweets, right? Like I can't tell you how much I had to just make sure, like I had to, I put notifications on people. I'm like, I need to know anytime this person tweets. Cause I need to go read it immediately. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, it was almost the point where I was like, if you're going to tweet, you need to ask me if it's okay. You know, like, and like, you know, here's, here's like the, the PC answer, right? Like here's like the generic answer. Where someone's like, Oh, what are y'all doing about this? Like anytime you ask like politicians or anything like that in a question and it's like, Hey, what are y'all talking about? It's like, well, there, you know, there's some plans in place. We're going to, you know, circle around to this, like blah, blah, blah. That that's code for, we haven't thought about this at fucking all. That's a good question. I don't have an answer for you. This is something we'll, I'll bring up later. Yeah. You, you know, Somebody you, you, in the background is furiously taking notes right now and we're going to have a meeting about it next week. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for bringing up uh, point B for my next talk with this person, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So um, so to me, it, like, it looks like they're preparing for the return of regular tournament Paper Magic um, and trying to, you know, because obviously, like, you wouldn't want the return of Paper Magic to happen as these formats were complete dumpster fires and then have to, and then be reactive to it and have to make the changes after having, because that, that first tournament back or first couple weeks of tournaments back, they know is kind of a goldmine. Like, everybody's itching to get back to it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Can you imagine how mad consumers would be if, like, they go and they're like, oh, you know, we got this GP, this GP, this GP in, in the next month. Like, they're like, there's three, there's three this month in America, there's three in Europe, there's, like, three, you know, two in Japan or whatever, you know, like, logistically, like, however many, you know, blah, blah, blah. And 
the Fortress Dump Survivor, but people are flocking to it. They're buying all these paper cards, and they're like, oh, well, we need to ban these 15 cards real quick. Yeah, people that you just spent $600 buying. Livid. <laughs> yeah, I would be so mad, right? And stuff, so... And speaking of being livid and mad, a card got banned in Legacy that has made me livid and mad for quite a while. <laughs> Is that Arkham's Astrolabe? Yeah, Arkham's Astrolabe finally got the Axaros. I've been only talking about it for like eight months or whatever, yeah. or like a year. You know, if, if, you, if you listen to our, our previous show... You know, we we talked about the potential from this announcement, and I believe these three cards that they banned in Legacy are the three that we talked about. Arkham's yeah, Astrolabe, yeah. Dreadhorde Arcanist, and Oko Thief of Crowns. So I pat think, yourself on the back, Tannen. Yeah. I think at least two of the three is pretty obvious, right? Like, Oko just needed to go. Like, it's just... Yeah, it's in that Uro category of card that is just, like, yeah. just de- unpersonate. It, it, it didn't yeah. exist. Yeah. It also just, like... It's just so stupid, right? Like, there's there's a lot of strategies in the game. Like, I can't tell you. I remember like, I mentioned earlier the first tournament back. I mean, the first tournament where we uh, we played with Brennan back, and like, I was playing Oko in my in my, in my list. And I remember my opponent was like show and tell or whatever. It would like they, they show and tell, and we fought over it. And I lost the fight, and they're like, Emrakul, go!" And it's like, and it's game one, and I was like, drew my card, and like they're waiting for me to concede because you're 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 dead, right? In game one or whatever, and then I just like played an Oko. It, it made their Immercool into an elk. <laughs> and they were like, wait, what? You know, because this hadn't happened to them yet. Because this is still new. And I was like, yeah, just like make your thing a 3-3. Three, three. <laughs> like, I was like, this is so fucking stupid. Right? It's the, it's the exact uh, Coalesce Apparel shirt. Have you seen that one? It's like the evolution of is? man. Right? Oh, it's the, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. And it's okay. a bunch of different silhouettes of different creatures. And then it goes to Emrakul. And then next to Emrakul is an elk. It's an elk? Okay. So <laughs> I haven't actually, like, I've seen You just it, evolved, really the, you evolved because... their creature for them. Yeah, now exactly. it's the highest life form imaginable, a three-three elk. Yeah. So that's the easy talk, right? Like that that card's gone. Let's talk about the other two. Let's talk about those two for a little bit. Um, let's talk about Dread Arcanus first, right? And this is something that a lot of people who have their pulse, their finger to the pulse of Legacy, have talked a lot. And I, I will say this: all of this is coming from someone who has played a lot of Legacy in her time, played it like that, you know, the highest level competitive, but has not in a while. And I will say this: I was there when like Arcanus started to become. The, the new thing to do, right? Like, this started to become, like, the thing you should be building your decks around. It is a one-card engine in this format. And, like, that's where people were having problems. It's like, Delver is the best deck. It It's always been the best deck. We talked about this. Like, yes, I'm sure there's someone at home, well, actually, in 2018 for these months, like, whatever. I don't care. For the last, like, eight years, Delver has been the best deck in Legacy, period. Is the deck that every other deck is judged by. It's the deck you were going to play against the most, and that, and that is the reason why. It it's really deck. more than any other the deck that defined Legacy. Exactly. It is Legacy. Like, you cannot think about Legacy without thinking about Delver of Secrets. Like, it just is the thing, right? Like, it is the deck, right? And it maybe needed to get put down a, a peg, right? Which here, it lost two big cards in Oko and Arcanist, and you're still going to see the, like, 2018 or 2017 forms of Delver come back and be very good. And I'll talk, I'll talk in a minute, too, about with Arkham's Astrolite being gone, you're going you're to possibly see Stifle come back because people are going to forget how to make uh, mana bases for, like, the first month. So someone's going to get <laughs> real pissed off by Stifle into Wasteland because that shit's going to start happening again. But I understand it's a 1-3. You can bolt it, right? You can blue up and blast it. Like, there's a bunch of... You can, you can kill it, right? But have you ever played against a game? I mean, against a Legacy deck in a game where they've played it on, on like, turn two after, like, pondering or whatever, preordaining, brainstorming, anything. And then they get to attack you the next turn and cast that card again. You are not winning this game of Magic. They have now pulled way too far ahead of you resource-wise and card quality-wise. 
And it's just something that's probably not okay in like the traditional play patterns of legacy. And so I'm like overall okay with this. Yeah. You know, when, when I think about the Delver deck, you, you do think about that sort of protect the queen strategy where you play your cheap threat and you counter all their answers to it, keep them off balance with your wastelands uh, and your dazes. And you do that long enough to win the game. But those creatures weren't creating a cascading advantage. They were just yeah. attacking, dealing damage. The Tarmogoyfs, the Gurmag Anglers, the Delver of Secrets. Uh, you know, the one general exception there is Young Pyromancer. That one is creating an advantage, but it required you to commit something usually on your turn. Yeah. You got a token or two for your troubles when you were countering their removal. Uh, but with your, you know, your cantrips, you could get a little bit more. That, you know, is was quite good, and you've seen it in, in Delver decks in the past. But Dreadheart Arcanist takes that to a, an entire other level. Because getting a 1-1 one, one or 2 is not comparable to getting an extra Preordain, extra Brainstorm, extra Ponder, extra Lightning Bolt. And because Especially with the card advantage, what happens is you just find the next answer. And so it becomes this perpetual motion machine, uh, right, where the Dreadheart Arcanist, you're like, play my Dreadheart Arcanist, you know, a daze your, your removal spell to protect it for a turn. Okay, untap, like attack you, like cast the Ponder that I, recast the Ponder I cast on turn one to find my Dreadheart Arcanist. Okay, that finds a Force of Will. I'll play another threat. Then I'll force your, you know, your next thing. Then I'll, you know, play two removal spells on your next two things. And, and, and you still have four cards left in your hand. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the advantage it generates each turn, but just, again, just by itself, like you said, you know, Young Pyromancer required you usually to, you know, be casting other cards, com- at least committing mana. Uh, the Arcanist is not committing any additional mana. And is you know creating a, a significantly greater advantage. Now you do get uh, you know make some sacrifices in the amount of pressure it puts on them. You know you also give your opponent more time to draw, but the card advantage it generates more than offsets that. And and we've seen that play out in Legacy over the last you know year or so. Um, yeah, you're 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 exactly right. Like when you think about the way it plays, especially like you're thinking of you know mirror matches, you know kind of thing. It's like. If I'm in the play and I get my my Dreadhorn to play first, right, and I get to attack with it, I'm so far ahead it's unreal, even if theirs resolves. Because here's the thing, because, like, I'm going to be, you know, utilizing more Ponders, more Brainstorms, more Preordains, but I'm going to find an answer to your Dreadhornist, and then I'm also probably finding ways to protect my own, or I'm finding ways to stop your next Dreadhorn Arcanist, or I'm finding my next one if you answer mine again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's literally just... It's Whichever just one you need to find, right? And yeah, and you have so many ponders and, and brainstorms, yeah. so you, like, you can find it. And, and if, if you look at the... Go ahead. And if you're asking why the, this is not playing out similarly in other formats, you know, Arcanist has, has been quite good in Historic, right? But hasn't really made its way into Modern or Pioneer. It's generally because... So, it, well, okay. So the reason that you see it in Historic, which is sort of the other end of the spectrum, um, is... The, that's it's competing against the least powerful competition because it's the smallest format. So the potential of it and that upside that you realize, um, you know, when it lives is is makes it worthwhile. In and in legacy, the upside is is also there, but it's much easier to protect because of days and force of will. In pioneer and modern, the upside 
isn't as good as it is in historic relative to the rest of the format because the format's as powerful and it's harder to protect because you don't have those cheap counter spells. You know, force of negation can sometimes do it, but not always. Um, and, and you know, you you don't have anything comparable to days. So mm-hmm. there, it's caught in the in in the middle in both pioneer and modern. So it shouldn't be that surprising that that it sees play at the two extremes in historic and legacy, but and not really in the that- middle. We may see that go up now, right? With the changes of these formats, maybe there's space for this card now. You know, yeah. more aggressive, like Snapcaster type kind of effect. I, I agree. Talking... There's, there's, it's definitely something I, I would try to see now. Oh, is, for sure. Are these formats now powered down enough where this card is now worth it? I can attack with a one three on turn three and have it be good enough. And I loved your point about historic because, like, it's, it's, it's a power level thing, right? And like, don't, don't forget that. Thoughtseize is one of the best cards in that set, in that whole format, period. And getting the Thoughtseize multiple times is sometimes powerful enough to beat some of these decks as well. And one of the last things I wanted to say about this in this format is, if you think about the classic Delver decks, right? Like, I'm sure you've seen my deck and seen me play enough to like almost be able to spout my deck lifts off the top of your head, right? But there's always like the, the there's always the cards that were just these are four ofs in your deck at all times. Just like the four Force of Wills, Dazes, Delver Secrets, Ponder, Brainstorm, right? And then you know bolt you know whatever just like you know the few things i'm missing a card too but there's always those the four of the blue cards right and it was always four brainstorm four ponder but once dreadhorde started getting popular you know i'm thinking about the last time i registered one of these decks my deck had four brainstorm four ponder three preordain right because i went up to i went up to to more uh free counter spells right i have more force negations in my deck and now i just wanted to make sure that i always had enough fuel to pitch a blue card and to have arcanist be doing its thing because that's how you win the game very easily. Because eventually you bury them in card advantage and then you just like bolt snap bolt them with the Dread Horde or you get a Delver flipped because you're always setting the top of your, your deck. You always know your next draw step, et cetera, et cetera. You're never flooding because you're always bring like you can just, you know, leave a brainstorm in there and you're like, oh, well, I drew some lands finally. Well, here's an easy way to do this. It also made your sideboard infinitely better, right? And your one of answers. Like it allowed you to play certain cards main, like a couple one ofs, and you're always going to see them because. That was one of the biggest things, and you and I talked about this a lot. You always made the joke about the only change I made in my deck week to week for tournaments that we go to is, like, the 14th and 15th sideboard card, right? Yeah. And it doesn't – like, people who play modern and people who play standard, that doesn't sound like a huge ch- change. But in Legacy, it is a huge deal because when you're playing a deck that has, you know, four preordain, four ponder, uh, four brainstorm, you are going to see at least half of your deck almost every game with the way the games play out. You're going to see so many cards that – these haymaker like one of really good sideboard cards become more prevalent in the games like you draw them more often yeah. and dreadhorde extra ensured that that you're always going to be kept like all the games of dreadhorde is like i'm thinking about it in my head and the way i lay out my cards every time i play with it if the game was over and it was a fair game like let's say it's a, it's a mirror or whatever my graveyard would always just be like gigantic right my graveyard and my my exile pile and it would just be like Oh, look at this. I went through all four of my brainstorms this game or all four of my ponders, but I actually, or I only had three of them, but I cast it six times, you know, kind of thing. That's like Faithless Looting and Arclight Phoenix. Yeah. I, you know, I would it, look it, after every game. It's like, I cast five Faithless Lootings this game. Yeah. It, 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 I'm like looking to my left right now, you know, because I play left-handed, so everything everything's over there. And I'm just thinking about, you know, the way that I have it. And I, the pile would always look the same. You know, I'm just like, man. And like, 
and it also created bad patterns for your opponent too. Like I could, t I can't tell you many times that like you know on one it'd be like ponder go and they'd be like play their land do whatever and I'd be like all right Arcanist go and they'd be like do something like force of will or daze it undap attack you ponder again and then like the next turn you're like all right main phase one ponder like you know do my thing shuffle my deck do whatever ponder again in my attack step and like you could see it on their face that like they're already just uninterested in the game like you know you know what I'm talking about that that look when their eyes glaze over and they know they're dead but they have to play the next seven turns. Yeah, and you've play also like taken ninety percent of the relevant game actions. You've already, you've taken twelve, and they've taken like two. They have like a land in play, right? <laughs> and you're like, I've pondered three times, like you know, or whatever. And you know, it makes wasteland a lot better and stuff. I just, uh, so I, what, I don't know. What are you looking at for legacy? You know, if you had to play legacy next week, if I had to play it next week and I wanted to win, and I think people were playing um, a lot of Delver decks and stuff, honestly, just like traditional miracles is probably really really good like before they started becoming the four and five color like soup decks and just like basic lands i think will be pretty good because it's like we pre preemptively said, you know try to dodge the rise of wasteland yeah possibly right like and like i think chalice of the void gets really good again in legacy because chalice of the void got worse and worse so people started playing dread arcanist into oko into uro like you, do you really want to play a deck with a bunch of like ancient tombs and chalice of the void when people are casting like Uros and okos and stuff like I, I, I don't want to play against that like as soon as it actually becomes relevant for you they just turn your chalice into a three three and you, they're, you're staring at a six six on the other side of the board and then like now they're like oh i can brainstorm however how many times i want and i did kind of want to talk about for a second with arkham's astrolay being gone i think this is a lot like modern right like we're going to revert a few years like we're going to go back to you know stifle being playable Gurmag Angler got unbanned today. Young Pyromancer got unbanned today. Basic Island. Basic Mountain. Basic Plains. These cards got unbanned today. I don't have to play Snowlands anymore, right? Because here's the thing. Legacy, and like this, this is not something about the health of a format, but Legacy is kind of like a love song to Magic, right? When you look at people's Legacy decks, and you can, you can see this in Modern a lot too, because it is now an eternal format. But when you look at people in their Legacy decks, I am an exception here, but when you look at other people... Their deck is gorgeous, right? It's always, like, the best, most expensive copy of these cards. I can't tell you how many times, like, I've played against Bryant Cook multiple times, and his deck is, like, 20 grand every time I play against him. It's, like, the same, it's like the price of a vintage deck. And I'm just like, like, he, he presents it to me. I'm like, dude, I don't want to touch your deck. I don't want to shuffle it. I don't want to touch it, right? And, you know, it's always funny because I'll, I'll make a comment, like, man, your deck's beautiful. And they'll look at mine. They're like, yeah, yours is... And then they like pause and they see like, you know, my beat up cards that like I've been playing, you know, since day one. It's this it's the same four fetches, the same four force of wills that are like beat to shit, you know? And it's fine, but it's like it's such a labor of love, right? And these people spend a lot of time and effort getting exactly what they want. And like, have you seen the basics that people choose to play with in some of these decks? These are not like you see Guru Land show up, right? You see you see Summerland show up. Yeah. You see Euroland show up. Foil you know, and lands. Yeah, like I'm talking the cheap, the cheapest basics you're going to see are like twenty dollars a piece, twenty for twenty five dollars a piece. And yeah, that's not a big thing, right? But like, let people play with what they want and don't force them into this role where like they have to play Snowlands, you know, kind of thing. Arkham's actually just I think hurt the format a lot in the fact that it did that and invalidated cards like Wasteland and stuff that are just actually good for the format to be good. Because like here's yeah. the thing, we've we've built this format over the last ten years where that has been relevant. And, and you just all of a sudden it invalidate it randomly with this weird thing. And you're like, I don't know. I, I just didn't like it. It left a bad taste it, in my it, mouth. It was, it was the opportunity cost of playing Arkham's Astrolabe is so low. And the, the gain of it is high. You know, you didn't play that many snow payoffs, right? It was really no. like Ice Fang Quaddle, maybe. Yeah, Ice Fang Quaddle. Yeah, you know, that's about it. 
Yeah. It, it was just a free roll, right? Yeah. Like, that's one of the that's one of the big losers, by the way. Of, oh, of yeah. Arkham's Astrolabe and, and Oko being gone now is, is uh, Quaddle went from like a very good playable legacy card to it's probably not playable anymore. Yeah, probably not. And certainly not relative to Belfal Strix and Legacy, right? Or yeah. What's the there's just there's just so little reason now to be Simic. Yeah, because like you're yeah you're not gonna have like you're not gonna have Oko you're not gonna have Arkham's Astrolabe like you're not gonna have a lot of the things that are that are worth it yeah I mean I'm I'm sure there's some people that might still try to make it work just because like it's still a decent it's still a decent card versus like uh, Delver of Secrets versus Gurmag Angler and it still pitches to both the forces you know it being blue is a big deal obviously but I don't know why you're playing green anymore it's like are you playing Sylvan Library you know like like there's there's not a lot of reasons to be down that line yeah. anymore so. And I will say this, I did play a lot of the blue soup decks when I wasn't playing on the open series. Like I told you this, almost every time I played Legacy non-open series, I would just play some other deck to like have more fun and get a better understanding. And I'd almost always gravitate towards like the four-color soup deck, as we call it. And the games in which I drew Astrolabe versus the games I didn't draw Astrolabe, I think there was like a 20% difference in, in win percentage or something like that. The game was just easy. It was just so much more easy. Like, it was like having Bitter Blossom in your Fairies deck. Yeah, exactly. Like It, just, it, just, it was drastic, so... Um, great to see these changes. I think it's going to, op- uh, like, I want to say open up that format, but I think it's going to unban a lot of cards in this format, is, is, like, the joke or whatever here. So, really cool stuff. Uh, this one we don't have to really talk about a lot, too. There was a change in Vintage today. Lurus of the Dream yeah, Den no got unbanned. No one cares. But there's one more thing, and uh, I got to admit, props to Watsi on how they did this. Very clean, concise fix. Uh, there's a rule change. And I'm just going to, I'm actually just going to read this uh, right off the thing. 702.84a we were joking about this last week those are real numbers and letters remember the joke i kept making like rule 75 cb whatever cascade is a triggered ability that functions only while the spell with cascade is on the stack cascade means when you cast this spell exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card whose converted mana cost is less than the card than the spell's converted mana cost you may cast that spell without paying its mana cost if its converted mana cost is less than its spell's converted mana cost uh, then put all the cards exiled this way at the bottom, blah, 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 blah. But that extra little line in there is saying that the, the spell you choose now off Cascade also has to fall under the rule of being less than the, being yeah. a, a less converted mana cost than the than the Cascade spell. So, you know, f- for non-Cascade ways that people were cheating in Valky, those are still going to work. Bring to Light and Pioneer, Emergent Ultimatum and Standard, that's still going to be fine and work as it has. Uh, and we mentioned this on the, on the last show that those, you know, didn't jump off the page nearly a, as egregiously in terms of power level because they're so much more expensive. At five and seven, seven mana in those formats, Pioneer and Standard respectively, you expect to get a very powerful payoff. So, uh, you know, I'm not at all upset that, you know, nothing happened to those specific interactions. Happy to see, so, you know, obviously something had to be done with the Cascade interaction. I advocated for just getting rid of the Cascade cards. And I think the fact that they, you know, saw fit to ban Tybalt's Trickery is evidence that they probably needed to ban the Cascade cards, you know. But something is going to come down down the road that, like, you know, people will play Cascade into at some point, and it'll be worth it. And then they'll probably just ban that card again, I guess. Um, yeah. Because that's how, how everything will work. But, um, you know, for now, we're, we're fine. As to whether or not this was, you know, the cleanest or best answer, I have some... Uh, some misgivings but you know ultimately it's not my decision so they they, honestly, I, they did what honestly, they needed to do yeah i'm, I'm proud I, I think this is a good clean fix it's pretty easy to understand you yeah know, because just, that's the spirit of what cascade is right when you it, think about think cascade 
Yeah, I think that's what we said on the last show, right? Like, I just want, the, like, intent matters, and, like, it was not intended to do this. Like, like I get why it works within the rule, but, like, that's yeah. not what was intended when they made Cascade. When they made Cascade, they wanted you to cast a 5-drop and maybe high roll into a 4-drop, but maybe also hit a 1-drop. They didn't want you to randomly get a fucking 10-drop. Yeah. Oh, here's my Emrakul, like, blah, 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 <laughs> or whatever, you know, like, you know, because we have a, a flip Emrakul card now or something, you know, or whatever. No, yeah, it, it makes say. sense, and it, importantly, it's intuitive. And I think having yes. the rules be as intuitive yes. as possible is, is a good thing. That's actually a really big deal too. Is this just makes sense, right? Like, it's it also keeps in line with some of the rule changes that we've seen in the last few years with like uh, I don't want to say double face cards, the, the 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 split cards. Yeah, you know, we saw a rule change with the split cards years ago that kind of like cleaned some stuff up and made it more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It made it more ubiquitous, I think, across the board. Like, everything kind of reacted the same way instead of it being like, well, you could pick either card here, yeah. but here it's both. And you're like, M- more consistent. Yeah, it just made it more consistent. Yeah. And so, like, that's what this is. I think it just makes it more consistent. Yeah. It's especially important in Magic to have intuitive rules, right? Because the game is so complicated. You Like, Magic is not a game where you can read the rule book and have a good understanding of the rules. You have you to. Imagine? Yeah, you have to learn by playing, and you have to encounter different scenarios and work through it and learn bit by bit. And, and you know, the curve is high, the curve is steep, it takes a while. Um, and the, the more intuitive the rules can be, the the more you flatten that learning curve. And we all know flattening the curve is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, can you... Yeah, I know, right? Nice nice little dig there, I like it. <laughs> Wear a mask when you're playing Magic. But uh, can you imagine the first time you're, like, playing in a modern tournament, you spend some money on your deck, and you're like, oh, even if it's, like, a local thing, and you're like, great. And, like, your opponent doesn't do anything on turn one, they just play a land, and then, like, turn two, they play a land, and you're like, go. And they're like, all right, uh, in your turn, you know, pitch Simeon Spirit Guide, cast this, you know, cast this Cascade spell, hit Valky, choose, choose whatever, and you're like, wait, what? How does that even? No, no, no. That is like you'd, you'd be like, this doesn't work. It, this is this isn't less than this. And they're like, well, actually, I'm choosing this one, but I get to cast this one. And like, they have to call a judge over. Or you have to Google stuff. I would be livid, right? I'd be like, this is stupid. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. Why? It's, like, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't work within the spirit of the game. It's like the deck that won the legacy, uh, you know, thing that we were talking about last week, where the deck was just a whole bunch of ways to turbo out of Alki and like Okos. That was the biggest pile of bullshit I have seen in a long time in a Magic deck. That to me, I saw that deck, and I just immediately thought of the Twin Blade deck that existed in Standard right before Stoneforge and Jace got banned. Yeah, Yeah. it was like this unholy concoction of Callblade and Splinter Twin that also happened to have like an Inferno Titan in it. The deck was so unbelievably good. It just did everything. Here's my reaction. Here's my reaction. It won, and someone immediately like cc'd me on it right they tagged me on it sent to me in a in a dm or something right i looked at it and i had a couple of reactions right away first one i just started laughing like like lol laugh out loud laughing second i needed a shower (laughs) and you can take that either way you want unclean i I felt unclean or maybe i was a little aroused you know like either way like right you know uh, it needed to be a cold shower (laughs) yeah yeah that's either i needed needed a nice deep shower or cold shower whatever way and then I just got mad because I was like, this is some bullshit, right? Like, can you please stop just breaking everything? You know, kind of We just so. want to have our nice things. Yeah, I just want to cast a Delver on one, wasteland my opponent, daze their spell, and have them cry. You know, like, <laughs> is that too much to ask? You know, like, whatever. At least at least one of us had fun, you know? Like, well, I can see now you get to do that, that, Tannen. Like, I can see myself at, like, like, let's say paper was going on right now, right? And the first paper tournament came up. I would have 100% played that deck. 100% played that deck. And even if it was, like, you know, kind of not known yet, let's say it hadn't broke out on Magic Online, it was, like, week one, 
you know, uh, uh, triple, you know, team event, I would have apologized so much. I would have been like, yeah, man, I'm so- like, I'm sorry. This is stupid, right? Like, it- oh, God. I will say this. Someone, um, I have been getting a lot of DMs from people about, like, you know, the... The, the joke is magic is healing, you know, the, you know, or whatever, you know, that, that kind of stream, whatever. Um, I've had some people DM me who haven't DM me in a while because they're like, Hey, I, I played legacy for the first time today and, you know, for, and forever, you know, because stuff. And, you know, um, like someone today sent me, uh, the Arclight Phoenix deck and legacy with Barrett alive. And they're like, yeah, five owed like easily today. It was super sweet. Uh, you know, the Delver of Secrets, Days, Force of Negation, Force of Will, Buried Alive, Arclight Phoenix, you deck, you know, the good old, uh, play Delver Secrets, reveal Dark Ritual. Yeah. You know, the, the like the, what? Wait, what? Can you imagine the first time you saw that happen? Like, oh, how when weird I first that would saw be? those decks, I was, uh, I had to take a cold shower. Especially yeah, when I, I saw it with, um, with the green card that finds a land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lay of the land. Land, or land grant. Land grant, yeah. That, that was the biggest brain shit yeah. in that deck. Oh. But, I, yeah, I, here's the thing. I remember when those first came out, I still, Ross, I went and got uh, OG Buried Alive and Dark Rituals just in case. Like, you know, I was like, hey, if I play this deck, it's got to be as pimp as possible. I have a nice set of Dark Rituals somewhere in my Storm deck. They're well, like, you better, you're, yeah, you're a Storm player. Yeah, they, I, I've I never a, had a reason to. They're, I mean, they're not like, you know, super nice. They're like FBB revised, I think. That's still really sweet, though. I, I yeah. like them a lot. So, um, but yeah, super excited about all the bands. I know this is a lot, right? That was a lot of cards and a lot of changes to happen. I think all of these were for for good. There was yeah. there was almost none of these where we talked about it. We were like, not really sure what's going on here, or I would have done something different. But basically, what Watsi did was they stuffed all of these formats into the attic, and were like, we don't have time to deal with these right now. And you know, they they had to you know deal with the rest of the house. And then a year later, they're like, oh shit, there's all that crap in the attic. We got to go through that now. And they're Spring's going coming. through it, and they, yeah, they're getting rid of all the things that they don't want. They're like, "Yep, yeah, don't don't need this anymore." Yeah, what was I thinking when I bought this shirt? Get out, get out of here with that, and you know, getting their spring cleaning done, and I'm finally getting, getting this, around to it. I'm getting this mental image of someone with like you know, you, you know the big ass trash can you get from the trash companies, and they're just like you just see Arcanist get tossed in, it, Arcanist <laughs> yeah. get tossed it, and then they th- they they have a heavier pile, and it's like four euros because it's all the euros from all the <laughs> yeah. different piles. And they close the, the top, and then Uro starts peeking out of it. You know, like, the eyes, and they're just like, no! And they just, like, slam down the top on it. Like, you dead. Yeah, you are dead. <laughs> you are done. It's over. Um, there was a format that we didn't mention during all this, because uh, no changes really needed to happen, right? And it's it seems like it's in a pretty decent place right now. It's moving a lot. That's standard. And um, I don't know about you, but over the weekend, I actually watched a ton of streams and watched a ton of standard, and I actually played a ton myself, but did some streaming of it myself. And boy, oh boy, I thought we were going to see just like the Solte. Look, I'll tell you this. When the Solte deck started winning last week and I saw it and it was good, I was kind of worried. I was like, oh, oh shit, here we go again, right? Because like uh, the ultimatum was, it's kind of unbeatable, like when you cast it. And the deck was very good at making itself get there. But we just needed time. Players just needed a little bit of time to fix it. And you told me earlier to pat myself on the back. I'm going to give you a big one here because you definitely called the shit out of what was the best deck to play this weekend. It won a lot of tournaments. It put a lot of people in the top eights. And I got to say, the, here's a, people are calling it Mono White Aggro. I'm going to call it a better name and call it the Snow White deck. Has just been <laughs> very, very good in San Reno. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how good it's going to be next week. Is, is Seven Dwarves still legal? Is that a magic card? Seven Dwarves is still legal. People were posting about that meme today. Like, can we just get the Snow White deck with Seven Dwarves in it? But, <laughs> I'm going to um, put one on my sideboard. 
And it, yeah, it, yeah, I know, right? It did look like the version that most people went for this week, because we talked about this, like, which land do you play? As more people went for Faceless Haven. And though I did see a couple people play both, like four Faceless Haven, one castle. One castle. I did I did see that in some lists. Um, I know there's a billion people, including myself included, watching uh, Abe Corrigan play the PTQ yesterday. I was streamed. also included in that. Yeah, he lost a heartbreaker in the finals to the mirror, and which you know tells you again how good that that deck is. And I don't know, it looked really well built. I loved his strategy in all of his games. Luminarch Aspirant is a hell of a magic card. We've been talking about this for quite a while. That card is very very. I've been powerful. playing in Pioneer. <laughs> yeah, it's very very good. It's very very powerful. I think that deck, while it might not be the best deck next week, I think it's going to be kind of like on the. It, it'll be on the list for a while, right? Like people are going to be playing it. I think it's going to be good. It's yeah. got very good draws. It it survives well too. It's not the kind of typical white deck that just folds to a wrath. It does. It is a little bit worse when like what's the new ones like pollen haze or whatever the minus two minus the infest. Like that one's a little bit better against it, but it can actually outsize that pretty quickly with Luminarch Aspirant. Like it can make itself a little more resilient and make yeah. a three. Mall of the Skyclaves also gets a creature out of that range. Yeah, yeah, lots of good stuff here. But that deck, I want to say, had one of the biggest breakouts I've seen in a while. Yeah, there. I I didn't look at uh, results from challenges over the weekend. I haven't looked at those yet, but I did. Uh, you know, last night look at the results from the SCG Caldheim Championship qualifier, which is the biggest event of the weekend. Usually, this one w- was no exception. Three hundred fifty people. You know, nine rounds of Swiss cut to top twelve. There were three mono white decks in that top twelve. All three of them ended up in the top eight, um, yeah. and two of them in the finals. Uh, the the one that lost before the finals lost in a, lost a mirror so they yeah. didn't n- none of the white decks lost to a non white deck in the elimination rounds right it was also it was also the deck that won the challenge this weekend for sure so like again just absurd yeah. results it, it was it was definitely the deck of the weekend monoret also did pretty well so it was you know a, a, we we and we mentioned it just being a, a weekend for aggressive decks in general mm. monoret was definitely there but mono white I think just ha- has more tools i think it's more resilient i think in aggro mirrors it has more ways to skew combat in its favor that's one of the things i love about luminarch aspirin for sure you just have so much control you're like okay do i need to play defense with this creature put a counter there can i get aggressive with this one put the counter there and you just gotta fit you know figure it out and if you're good at figuring out those scenarios luminarch aspirin is always going to be doing something relevant every turn uh and and it'll cascade that advantage you know we don't have to say any anything more about skyclave apparition uh but the the you know the addition of Faceless Haven has propped up these both aggressive decks, really, Mono White and Mono Red. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're both, you know, just quite good at attacking and, and getting the, the ultimatum deck dead. So Yeah, and that's that's a that's definitely a big deal. Like the, the monocolored aggro decks were were definitely story one A of the weekend. And there was a there was a story one B for another breakout deck. I was actually streaming this myself the other day because it's a strategy that I've always enjoyed. Um, Jeff Hoogland, I think, was like 6-0 or 7-0 in the PTQ at one point with the deck and was crushing with it. But I don't know if you saw the results overall this weekend, and they were impressive, but I'm not memeing here. The cycling deck actually broke out this week as well. Yeah, I mean, this another aggressive deck, so I'm not surprised in that regard. It's the most linear of the aggressive decks, so I would assume as the metagame adapts to beat aggro, it's the one that falls off the most. But honestly, like, it was it, it was probably the in the best choice of the weekend. You know, it didn't win because it was significantly less popular for the most part. You know, when you got three mono white decks in the top eight, it's a lot easier to get the trophy than if you only have the one cycling deck, which was the case in, in the PTQ. Um, 
But yeah, like its win rate looked great. I'm sure that's a little skewed because it's only like that's the kind of deck that if you didn't know it was good, you weren't going to pick it up. So the only people that were picking it up were people that are putting the work yeah. in and are really in tune with the metagame. Um, so that that's going to skew those numbers. But yeah, I, it would it would not surprise me that if you like ran back last weekend, you know, a, a thousand times that Jeskai Cycling comes out as the the best deck in the aggregate. Um, but it, it's definitely the one that that stands to lose the most because when you disrupt it uh the, those early creatures and have a, any sort of plan for zenith flare they, they just can't do anything else the issue is like mm-hmm. really no deck had a plan to beat zenith flare last weekend <laughs> no absolutely and i gotta say this from from playing the deck quite a bit and i i've always enjoyed the strategy uh, i actually own a lot of these physical cards in like japanese because i thought i would play the deck if like we ever got to well play they're all again. crappy draft commons tannin and, and uncommons hey there's there's some uncommons in there but um you know i have a few things to say about the deck i, I do think it's surprisingly good and resilient you you do have a million micro decisions in it so you can mess up but i think the deck is really good um uh what's it called flourishing fox was unbelievably impressive against all the top decks because it's it's the quickest clock in standard. When it's going, nothing kills you quicker than a Flourishing Fox. But also, it, it dodges a lot of the removal in the format. You can't Heartless Act a Flourishing Fox. Yeah, everyone's all in on Heartless Act. And then, that's the best creature against it. Yeah, and if I ever played one-on-one one and they showed me a deck that has uh, Bone Crusher in it, I just immediately cycled twice on my turn, two instead of doing anything else. I could have, like, other Flourishing Fox or whatever. Just make this a 3-3 immediately, and then, like, they can't keep up ever again in those decks because they need bone crusher to like trade with your one or two drop and then play a five five but now you've outpaced a five five as well yeah on turn three so so now you're gonna start seeing more eliminates more blood chiefs thirsts more Mm -hmm. you know frost bites so you can answer it on turn one the red decks already had those um and what ways to answer this fox and we kind of saw we saw this happen you know like last may there was a weekend where the cycling deck did really well right and nobody was prepared to deal with fox or zenith flare yeah if you can't deal with those cards you're not beating the cycling deck and there's there's a few other things too. And like let's say this, like that doesn't mean this deck's unplayable from this point. There's there's still some other ways the deck can win. And you're looking at uh, let me make sure I get the names of these cards. Uh, Valiant, Valiant Rescuers. Rescuer. Yeah, I couldn't remember the name. Valiant Rescuer helps go wide, but Improbable Alliance was probably the most impressive card to me over over the weekend playing a lot that showed up. Uh, a lot of versions are only playing three, and if the removal is going to start making it to where Fox is more of a liability, maybe you want to go up to the, the fourth copy of this card. I definitely see that. And that's pretty big. Um, the, the deck, you can play all five colors in the deck, or all four colors, really, because you can cast your black cards uh, as well on this deck, because you do play four of Memory Leak. And I will say this. I, I cycle this card 99% of the time, but when you cast a Memory Leak, it is absurd in a lot of the matchups, because there's matchups where, like, you need to make sure Xenoflare resolves, and you're going to, like, Xenoflare... The, I, I had a game where I needed to Xenoflare my control opponent, and I was pretty sure they had two counterspells, and I got to EOT Xenoflare, and they like, counterspell, and I untapped, I was like, cast Memory Leak. And I just have another Xenoflare, Flare, right? Because you're going to make all your land drops because you're, you're drawing half your deck every yeah. game. And so it's easy to get through there. Um, if you're playing the card Gopher Blood, that's one in a red uh, sorcery that says target creature you control fights a creature you don't control and a cycling one. This one actually has a little implications here or there. I won a lot of games against like Gruul and other stuff where I just made a big fox. It was like attack and they're like, all right, make a 1-1. One, one. You try to you know block or whatever. And I'm like, no, fight that thing. Like yeah, keep attacking. They try to like right? race you with an Ember Cleave and you're like, yeah, yeah. fight, you know. Uh, speaking of that, you know, Embercleave and uh, uh, Embercleave and there are other artifacts in the deck that are very good. Uh, you have Shredded Sails as well. I've seen some of those in main uh, as well. So yeah, like, also kills Gold Span Dragon. Kills Gold. I was gonna say kills Gold Span Dragon. Like, there's a lot to like in this deck. I will say this: the the normal uh, versions of this deck don't play a card that I think you should be playing. 
And I think you should be taking out uh, some form of Frostfail Ambush or starting to develop and playing some number of Footfall Crater. Now, for some reason, Footfall Crater got kind of like left out of some of these lists, and that's a one red mana enchantment that enchants a land. And then the land has the ability, target creature you control gains Trample and Haste in turn, it cycles for one. Because I definitely lost some games, especially in the Mirror. Like, I didn't know it was the Mirror before we started playing, where like I just had two huge foxes, and they had Improbable Alliance or whatever in play. We're making a bunch of 1-1s, and they eventually were able to like, I, I can't even attack anymore, right? Because yeah. like, they just put a 1-1 in front of my 8-8 or whatever. But if I could have ever given it Trample, I could have Zenith them out very easily. So I think Football Creator, foot, Football, Footfall Creator is a card that like you should maybe be leaning towards a little bit more to give you your card. It's not going to come up very often, but when I mean, it does, it's very, very good. The the green decks all have like Love Strike Beast and stuff to to mm -hmm. create chump blockers. Maybe Azika's Chariot. The white yeah. decks have Usher of the Fallen that can pump out tokens or Clarion very Spirit. Good point. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's definitely a lot of chump blocking to be done in this format. I, I like Footfall Crater quite a bit. You know, you, you think of the cycling cards and you're like, yeah, as long as I cycle for one, it doesn't really matter. But again, as you were saying in, in the Legacy deck, when you go through a lot of your deck. You know the corner cases are going to come up more often, and you're going to want to have access to cards that get you through those corner cases. Mm -hmm. uh, and Football Crater is one of them. And there was um, a card that showed up in all the sideboards of this deck, and then like some of the Gruel decks and a few other decks this weekend. That I think was the Breakout Star sideboard card this weekend, and that's Rolling Vortex. And it's for a few reasons that like don't immediately jump off the card. So for people at home that may not know this, it's one in a red mana enchantment. It says, the beginning of each player's upkeep, uh, this deals one damage to them. So it's got the Vortex ability. You know, you just take one. Um, you can pay one red and your opponents can't gain life this turn. That almost is, like, never relevant, really. It almost never comes up. It's the other ability that really made it shine, and especially against Sultai. And that says, whenever a player casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast a spell, rolling Vortex deals five damage to that player. So they ultimatum you, they just take ten. Immediately with this card in play. I actually literally did not know that text was on that card. Yeah, I, like, I didn't either until, like, I really read it. You were going through and reading the card, and you got to, like, the red, they can't gain life, and then you started talking about something else. I was like, you're done. The card, you've, you've finished all the text on the card. What are you talking like, you're, I thought you were yeah. about to read out the flavor text. And... <laughs> okay. No, so, like, yeah, so, like, it does a little bit more. It chips away. Also, it's just a hard to interact with uh, permanent for them, because, like, you know, of course, binding can kill this out of the Sultai deck, but it's not really what they want to be using their removal spells on. Because in this deck, like they they have to kill all your win conditions. Like they have to kill your your stingers, they have to kill your foxes, they have to kill your rescuers because they're going to kill you if you don't. Because your deck is slow as shit. Yeah. And it's also Sultai you deck. know pretty easy for you to not run out the vortex early and just Until play like it the turn, turn before yeah. they're gonna they you know they want to play the ultimatum. And either they've used their binding already because they need to kill some other threat and they want it to ramp, or you've at least got you know gotten a turn. They have to take a turn off and like blink the binding with the Orient or play another copy before they get to ultimatum, and hopefully that one turn gives you a window to close the game out. So gonna be effective as long as you play it carefully, even in the face of answers to it. And yeah, I can't believe that I just had no idea that text was on that card. Yeah. Yeah, also just a couple of little more things because I played the deck quite a bit this weekend. I do think it's very good. Um, one reason I really highly recommend to people this deck is if you're playing on Arena, this is like the cheapest deck in Standard. There's almost, no, like you said, there's almost no rares in it. So if you have a bunch of common and uncommon wild cards and you didn't draft this set, it shouldn't, like, the, okay, the mana base is very difficult. And I will say there is a way to make this a little more budget where you can make it to where you don't have all of the triomes and pathways and you just make it straight like red white pretty much like you don't have like the blue and you don't have the the black and where you can't cast your your cycling spells and the deck's still fine this will be good enough for you for against like pretty much everything but the top decks 
or whatever if you get really high on the ladder but if you're really high on the ladder you're probably not you know running into the problem where you can't afford another deck or whatever so this is a very cheap deck that way um i gotta say this when you're playing with it you need to start figuring out what threats are important and what matchups obviously things change from here or there but like there's certain matchups where i found that like of the of the four different creatures because you have valiant rescuer you have flourishing fox you have stinger and you have healer right that healer is the one that i cast the absolute least but there are some matchups like the mono red matchup or the mono white matchup where on turn like five or six where like you're kind of stabilizing like you have one of your other token creators out like improbable alliance or you have a rescuer in play where like you start your turn by playing a healer and you just cycle two or three times and you just gain three life and like make a blocker or two and that's generally too much for decks to deal with yeah you sort of assume a controlling role rather than try to go up against them toe-to-toe as two aggro decks fighting you say okay let's slow the game down i'm gonna do a lot of blocking i'm gonna gain a little bit of life and i'm just gonna zenith flare the fuck out of you yeah, because in those matchups, yeah, they, they can't stop you from Xena flaring them. Yeah. So you just you only do it once, right? Maybe also, twice. Yeah, there, well there's some there's a few games where like you're you're priced into you you have a Xena flare for like nine and you're about to die, but you're like, I just need to Xena flare them for nine, so my next one's lethal, but it gives me the turn or two I need. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's so pretty any, big. Anytime you're taking that posture, then cat then healer becomes more important than Stinger. Yeah. Also, I think that you can consider playing Shredding Sales main. Like one or two, because Gruel's always going to be good. It's good against Gruel. It's fine enough in the uh, the mirror match that like you know you can you're not that bad off that like you have a cycling two card in your deck because once the game if the game's going long that doesn't necessarily matter too much, but it's also good against the mono white deck. Yeah, mono. Well. I was going to say that especially uh, Rydan, which is one of the mm-hmm. big Raydan. I don't know how to pronounce it, but one of the, one of the breakout stars of that of that deck is that is the God of the Worthy. And stopping Xenia the Flare, making that cost six mana is definitely a big deal. I gotta say this. I was really impressed by that card this weekend. It's one of those ones where, like, I looked at it and I kind of overlooked it. Let's kind of, like, circle back a little bit to the mono-white deck. So, um, for people who don't know the one exactly we're talking about, this is a two and a white for a legendary creature. It's a god. It's a two-three with flying and vigilance. Um, this part's actually pretty important versus some matchups. The first line is snow lands your opponent control, enter the battlefield tapped. So, if you're planning, it's like the blue red deck or something else that or like the mono white deck all their lands just come into play tap so everything costs one more like you're literally thollying them like it yeah. just it just puts attacks on them and then uh kind of like ross alluded to it says non-creature spells your opponents cast with governor mana cost four or more cost two more so now xena flare is six instead of four right ultimatum is just a million mana right and so this card while we didn't see it in like super high numbers in all the decks because it is a pretty inefficient creature compared to the rest of the deck, and it's not really where you always want to be spending three mana. It's been pretty good. And uh, you can always read the other side of this, too. It's the other side is just, like, if, if a source your opponent... Do, uh, it's like a four-mana artifact. If something uh, your opponent controls deals damage to you, you reduce it by one. And if they which target actually, one of your things, they have to pay an extra one. Yeah. Which is actually pretty good, believe it or not, against... Uh, it's not good against the card Zenith Flare itself, but it is really good against almost every way that they deal with you... Because like one of the best ways to deal with mono white out of the, uh, the the cycling deck is just make a bunch of one ones, to where like they can block enough or get in enough little chip damage to make their Xena flare lethal. And if you can just like take that that play away from them, it gives you a lot more play in that matchup. Yeah, no, uh, I I very much agree. I've been impressed by Raiden as well, uh, and I think the numbers on that card are trending up in the white decks. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, think see, so I see a lot of three main deck of that card where I used to see you know one or two or maybe all on the sideboard. Yeah. Um, definitely a nice one you know it's competing a skyclave apparition and model skyclave so it's it's your three slots getting a little cluttered and that's one of the reasons you don't you know see four a lot of the time but 
definitely worth it. And it, I would say at least two, if not three in the main. Uh, very, very, very impressive card, especially as long as Sultai Ultimatum stays popular. And, you know, Sultai had a, had a decent weekend. There were three in the top eight of the SCG. So it's definitely a, a deck that seems to be sticking around. Gruel, Gruel was actually the deck that, that looked relatively weak. It was pretty popular. You know, record overall wasn't that great. Only put one in the top 12, and, the, and they lost in that first round of the eliminations. Yeah, it's it's still going to be just a good deck, though, right? Like, I don't think that deck going anywhere. Yeah, it has a high floor. Yeah, it has a high floor. Like, the cards in here are just... It's, it's the prototypical just good cards in a deck. You know, just a pile of good cards, kind of like Saltai is. So, yep. love to see maybe Saltai uh, changes itself a little bit in the weeks forward to become, you know, better. We'll have to, you know, with with less mirrors being played, because I, I assume people are going to start, you know, moving off Saltai, that maybe the deck has to make a transformation at some point, because... That's that's also what always happens in standard, right? Like we we had Soltai last week as like the best deck to be playing, and you and I talked about what you should be playing instead. But here's what the Soltai players said: They're like, "Look, my decks are really good. I'm public enemy number one, but that also means I'm gonna play mirrors." So you start to see like some inbred stuff happen, right? Like I saw some of them, you know, incorporating the plan of I have extra ways to ramp, so I can always you know be the first one to cast ultimatum. Like I saw Migration Path and a couple other cards like that start to make it in. I saw forums where they were still playing like the the Green Enchantment with Willow Haven, with Cultivate, with Migration. You know, they're just I'm all all I'm trying to do is cast. And, and my the Ramp Mirror, the, the one who ramps the hardest wins. Yeah, exactly. Like you played Wolf Run in the past. Like I remember that was a you know pure mirror thing. You just took out all your interaction and you just tried to ramp faster than your opponent. Yep. And stuff like that. So, you know, that's all that matters. And I gotta say this 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 is really cool to see Standard doing this much changing in the first couple weeks and. It doesn't seem like anything is going to just be like, I am the busted thing to do, like we had with Omnath or like we have with this is This is what we've come to expect from Standard outside of the last couple of years when when everything was really busted. So we're getting that nice churn. Week to week, things are changing. Eventually, that churn will slow down a little bit. The decks will that have been refined and have you know stood the test of time will, will stick around and, and it'll settle into uh, that steady state end game. And we're, we're, we're starting to slow down a little bit. We're a couple of weeks in. Uh, you know, I think this is going to be a weekend... The, you know, the first weekend where the best deck last weekend isn't, like, pretty bad the next weekend. You know, Solta, I still think, will be fine this coming weekend. So that's a sign that, you know, the best decks are getting more and more refined and that they're not going to get hated out. Uh, I think Mono White is going to be in the same place. It's, this is, you know, this is, might be a, ba- a quote-unquote bad weekend to play Mono White because it has that target on its back. But I think the deck is powerful and resilient enough that, you know, if you know the matchups well and you have a good list, you're going to have success. But the pressure is on you to have a good list. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a good way to put it, right? And I'm a big fan of any standard where there's like four or five or six like real good options and the, the micro decisions really matter, right? Like you're like, well, if I play Soltai this weekend, like maybe I need to change some of my removal. Like like you said, I need more Blood Chief Thirst in my deck and less, um, I literally just blanked on it, not, not eliminate, less Heartless Axe. Yeah, and stuff like that. And I think that's where you start to get, you start to see people really get, rewarded in standard i know you and i had this conversation for a long time once and we've talked about the show where like those little micro decisions can really really matter and really come in and if if someone does you know the the right kind of um studying here you know they figure out the right spot in the metagame and how to change their deck like one or two cards and it doesn't look big on paper right like you're like oh here's my new sultai deck but i just changed this four of to a different four of but it drastically changes a lot of your matchups that's a big deal and so I'm excited to see that. Um, I think Standard's going to be good moving forward. I've been streaming it quite a bit myself and playing it quite a bit. So I'm enjoying it a lot. I know you haven't been having a chance to play it much, but this is a Standard I think you would enjoy. Yeah, I'm, I'm itching to get back into the trenches, especially with this white aggro deck looking good. 
Yeah, yeah. I will say this is definitely the the trenches that that welcome Ross. Like it, <laughs> this just seems like I see this deck and it has your name. All I get over. to attack. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. I I get to tank for three minutes every main phase one and then figure out how I'm attacking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm so, in. Yeah, exactly. So I know you're. Um, I know you're looking forward to giving it a shot here and giving it a chance, but you know something that I look forward to every week, Ross, that we get to do on the show? Is it ranting about things that are overrated? Yes, it's ranting about things that are over and underrated. So uh, we got a little bit of time left uh, before we need to get out of here, so let's try to clear out some more of these over-underrated uh, cards. Some new of listeners that- to the show, keep in mind that this is something that is available to all of our Discord mm-hmm. channel members. So if you get into the Discord, uh, which we'll talk about at the end of the show, how to exactly to do that, then you'll have the opportunity to... Uh, get our opinions on whatever you want our opinions on yeah good one ross was a that was a nice little uh i'm proud of you i'm proud of you all right so a couple of these answers are going to be probably a tiny bit different now with what happened today because the very first one is our masa but it says dark confidant and i was gonna say like amazingly overrated even though it's the best it's funny that i'm gonna say this dark confidant is the best dark confidant ever of all the like two mana like you know try to create some kind of card advantage that way but maybe less overrated now because it, I'm not saying it's playable again in in in, in uh, modern, but if if people are going to be playing Jund again, and I've joked about this, but I have at times thought this card was fringe playable in Delver decks in Legacy as well. Um, yeah, I mean it's still not going to be playable these days. It's just not. It's just a card that's been passed by, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't you know appreciate it for what it was because you know Dark Confidant was a dominant Magic card for a decade released in 2005 probably till 2015 or so you know the card was really freaking good yeah and you know things just got a little bit too efficient as the you know uh size of magic formats increased enough and it got left behind but this was a card that was awesome when it was in standard and it was great and extended and it was very good in legacy and it was quite good in modern for a long time so give dark confidant its due mm-hmm. underrated i'll say yeah i'll say uh another card that probably took a little bit of a flack from fatal push as well yeah uh, G- joe at mr english says mana war creatures so i'm assuming they mean creatures that either specifically bounce things that they come into play or just creatures of one eight you know one eight seven abilities but if they're saying specifically bounce things um probably a tiny bit overrated in constructed and drastically underrated in limited yeah i think that sounds about right i think at this point reflector mage is a little overrated and that's sort of like the, the best one in recent years right um, yeah, but absolutely. I, I love me a good Man of War. If, if mm-hmm. Man of War is good in a limited format, I'm there. Gotcha. All right, I'm gonna skip over a few of these. We'll, we'll come back to like the same person, put up like four or five in. So I'm gonna make sure they're not just it's just them. Um, Cathal asked, modern players' obsession with mid range decks. I was gonna say really overrated, but now slightly underrated because uh, this is a it's possibly about to be their time to shine. <laughs> well, modern. I wouldn't say that it is modern players who are particularly obsessed with mid range decks. I think the average Magic player gravitates to mid range decks, and the, the reason is because on paper, mid range decks uh, uh, are the most um, they give you the most peace of mind because they're the most adaptable. And they, you know, they can both play offense and defense. Like anything that you think you need to do to win a matchup, mid-range decks to some degree are capable of doing that. Now, in reality, they generally are not right. They like they'll fall short, but that doesn't mean you're not you're not never you're never zero a hundred. You're you're never zero percent to uh, win a game using a certain strategy. If you have to be the beatdown, be the troll, be whatever. 
So I think people gravitate towards that. And they also just generally gravitate towards the um, magic that is played on the traditional axes. You know, mid-range plays on a tempo, philosophy of fire, card advantage axis. It plays on all three of those axes. And that's what people, you know, that's what magic is at, at its base. And so to me, like mid-range decks are the opposite of combo decks because mid-range decks accept magic for what it is and just try to be as well-rounded and as good as they can be at those things. Whereas combo decks seek to radically redefine what it is to win a game of magic. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that's one of the reasons that combo decks often get maligned and people don't like them. It's because they're just so, they're they're very foreign if you're not used to them. But the people that do like them really love them because they like that challenge of taking the you know the whatever the combo is that it'll redefine what the terms of the game are. It redefines what card advantage is, what tempo is, what philosophy of fire is, and you have to understand then in the context of any given matchup how that affects your decision making. Like, what does it mean to you know have my opponent at a virtual three? It means to have nine, like eight storm instead in your storm deck, because once you have nine storm, then they're, then they're dead, right? So, um, you know, th those when you're able to reframe the problem in a, the appropriate way based on the combo deck that you're playing, then you have a full understanding of what you're doing, and you're able to make seemingly counterintuitive plays that make sense under the new paradigm that the combo deck has forced you to play under, uh, and, and people just don't like that. So, you know, mid range decks are just really popular. You can see it whenever whenever anybody ta like takes a stock aggro deck and like makes changes to it. They always add bigger creatures and more and like bigger stuff, and they never add more small stuff. And when they mm -hmm. make changes to control decks, they always add more small stuff and never enough big stuff. It always gravitates towards the middle. All right, uh, Massimo also says uh, Mardu, and I'm gonna answer with Mardudu is what I usually call most of the decks because uh, it's almost always overrated. The decks yeah. are almost always not good. Yeah, my friends don't let friends play Mardu. Mardu's bad. Hmm. Even when uh, you know it's says, bad, it's, it's worse than you think. Yeah, Cathal says Sprite Dragon. This one pains me because it's like such a tannin card, and I want it to be good. I want it to be good, so I'm gonna say properly rated. I'm gonna say a little overrated, and that pains me for the same reasons. I just I don't really get that playing the Is it Prowess deck instead of just mono red and being consistent. Like I've seen the mana base for the Is it deck screw it so many times, and like drawing a million of the, um, uh, you drawing a million of either of the blue creatures really because they're so kind of clunky. But um, you know I've also also seen turn two mana morphos into storming entity a lot. But um, yeah I, I'm. I've never been super impressed by Sprite Dragon outside of the like, first few times I played it with like untuned decks. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, next one, Massimo says Amazon. Um, I mean, if you're rating it on convenience, it's properly rated. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those ones it's hard to properly rate, right? Like the convenience part of it is great. Like getting stuff for cheap is great, but... Almost everything else about it's pretty fucking awful. Yes, so the, the reality of what it it requires for Amazon to exist is uh, shocking. Yeah, exactly. All right, we're not gonna go super deep into that one. Uh, I, I I like the the next one. It made me laugh out loud. Bradsifer says existence, and I'm gonna go with slightly overrated, <laughs> underrated. Right now, yeah. Right now, we don't now. need any I'm you joking, know I'm I'm nihilist joking. defeatism. I'm joking. I'm joking completely here. Yeah, existence uh, is great. Let's just make it better. Yeah, I'm gonna not say the full name of this next person, but it just says it's your boy. Um, there it says pickles. 
and I think you and I have the exact same here in a man's for both of us, massively overrated. Throw every pickle in the garbage. They suck. Yeah, they're they're awful. They're awful. Now, it's really funny because the next one uh, is also from Massimo. It says cucumber. I think cucumbers are great. Cucumbers suck. Right. In the garbage. Overrated. <laughs> All right. Uh, Leo the Magician. Oh, I'm sorry. Leo the Magic Man. I always had to say the Magician. Uh, the Magic Man says the Raven Paradox. Don't know what this is. Uh, it, like I don't know how to explain it other than like it's the thing that where you say like all ravens are bl- are black, and then you say well then if something is not black it's not a raven you know what I mean it's like the it it has to do with principles under like inductive reasoning and stuff like that I don't I don't I'm not smart enough to explain this well so I don't really have an answer. Hold on, hold on. So, so Hempel describes the paradox in terms of the hypothesis. Here. One, all ravens are black in the form of an implication. This can be expressed as if something is a raven, then it is black. Via contraposition, the statement is equivalent to if something is not black, then it is not a raven. Yes, in all circumstances where two is true, one is also true. Likewise, in all circumstances where two is false, uh, one is also false. Given a general statement such as all ravens are black, a form of the same statement that refers to a specific observable instance of the general class would typically be considered to constitute evidence for that general statement. For example, my pet raven is black. Is evidence supporting the hypothesis that all ravens are black. The paradox arises when this same process is applied to the statement too. On citing a green apple, one can observe this green apple is not black and it, it is not a raven. By that same reasoning, the statement is evidence that, too, if something is not black, then it is not a raven. But since, as above, the statement is logically equivalent to one, all ravens are black, follows that the sight of a green apple is evidence supporting the notion that all ravens are black. This conclusion seems paradoxical because it implies that information has been gained about ravens by looking at an apple. Uh, um, this just seems like nonsense that yeah. only yeah. people that, like, I can what, what are you even talking about? Yeah, let's move on. Next one, for also from Leo the Magic Man, good sequels. I'm going to go with massively underrated because there's so few of them. Yeah, good sequels, an oxymoron. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the next one's really good here. It's from KFET. This one's uh, it's like a week or two old or whatever. It's from late January, but it says GameStop stock. Um, stock market overrated. What they did to it, massively underrated. One of the first times I've ever been happy with Reddit. How about that? Sure. Uh, Not a big Reddit fan. Yeah, it was it was funny, but it wasn't anything it's, you know revolutionary in scope. I well, th- I think the only revolutionary scope thing to it is more people got to see the truth of the fact that the system isn't made for them; it's made for the sure. the elite, and it's you know? all just and, like, fucking can, made up. It's also made up, yeah, exactly. That it's not fucking real, and that here here's the thing: that one of the best ways I heard anyone put it is like. It's one of those things where it's it's kind of like the casino or anything like that, where they're like, come play these games where you you know you could make money, but you're probably going to lose money. And then when you find a way to beat the system, they don't let you play anymore. So the game is always rigged against you, and that's just the way it is. All right. So anyway, Gold says counterspells moving into colors that aren't blue. Um, overrated. I like the color pie. Um. I mean, as long as the counterspell like works in a way that is indicative of that color, I think it needs it's to make fine. sense. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, Tybalt's trickery, sense. like you know, creates that sort of chaos that is, is typical of red and yeah. doesn't feel as much like a counterspell as blue because it's not really trading one for one. Um, so that I think that makes a lot of sense under the color pie. It just has to be done in very specific ways, and I think Tib- like Tybalt's trickery, which I assume was the impetus for asking the question, um, was done in that sort of careful, measured way. That makes sense. 
Uh, Cathal says two card combos like twin versus synergistic combos like storm. I think two card combos are overrated, and I think synergistic combos are underrated. Yeah, I, I always refer to them as engine combo decks. Uh, just mm-hmm. my choice of terminology, and I, I think we talked about this on the last show. But love me a good engine combo deck. Two card combo decks, not so fun. Yeah, uh, here, here's here's a good one. It's going to show my age. Uh, Chef Petro with always trying to jam mono black control. Because you play during torment and you're an old man that uh, <laughs> that yells at clouds. Okay. Um, underrated. 100% underrated. I loved this deck. Uh, Innocent blood into like Marari into mind sludge corrupt. All yeah. This stuff. A little mutilate action. A little mutilate. Yeah. The first printing of mutilate. Oh man, I miss. This was one of my first like. I think mono black control might, might have been my first real like tournament level deck that I built and played with. So uh, in Cabal coffers. This thing was this thing played like an EDH deck before EDH, or whatever. So, um, Leo the Magic Man says sledding. I'm gonna say with overrated just because of uh or, or properly rated because I don't do it because I don't I don't have snow. So, um, sledding is fun. I did it a lot as a kid because we had the there's a big hill at the tree farm uh, mm-hmm. that we would sled down, and it was great. It was like having a basically a private you know sledding hill. Uh, I really like the next one. It's from uh, Brent Wagner, our lovely editor. He says, being outside. <laughs> Underrated. I'm looking uh, forward to it. Yeah, there's the LOL part of me that says uh, it's it's overrated. Look, here, us as a human species, we have spent thousands of years perfecting inside. Why the fuck would I want to go outside? But that's what I would have said probably like two years ago. Now, I just I just want to go hang out with the, with the bros and, and have yeah. a beer, you know, or whatever. So... Okay. Uh, Massimo coming. One, one, one more, and then let's wrap this up. Yeah, Massimo coming back with betting on sports games. I'm gonna go with overrated. Uh, I mean, I basically never do it, so the times I do do it, it's kind of fun. So maybe it's the kind of thing that you just need to keep okay. in a you know a measured amount. That's probably that's probably a good answer because I'm the same way. I just I just don't do it very often, and when I do, it's usually for fun or like. We had a uh, tradition when we were in Vegas where we would all go watch, like all my friends that liked baseball, we'd all go watch the All-Star game, the baseball All-Star game. And we would always do like the crazy prop bets on that because it was fun. And, you know, we were, we get drunk yeah. watching the game at a, at a casino, one of the big sports books. I did that one year for the, the NBA All-Star game because we were, we were at a PTQ somewhere in uh, upstate New York. And we got snowed in for the night. We had to stay, you know, stay overnight. And so we just like found a bar that was open close to us. And this, the, it was all star. It was Saturday night of All Star Weekend, and so that's like the three point contest, the dunk contest, the skills challenge. Yeah, skills and, challenge. Yeah. And for each of those things, we just like drafted the field, and you know whoever had the winner for each of it, you know, got a you know free drink or whatever, maybe ten bucks. I don't, I don't really remember what we bet on it, but that was you know that was fun. But nice. yeah, it's not something I would want to do like regularly or like be one of those people on like FanDuel or whatever. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention our sponsor for the show, and that's Barrister and Man. Make sure you check out Barrister and Man. That's two ends. Uh, you can find them on the internet. Uh, one of the only ways to find one of their uh, great products. Make sure you check them out. Lots of cool stuff going on there. Uh, lots of soaps, uh, beer accessories, uh, shaving accessories, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan of all the products myself. I talk about a, a bunch of them each and every week, which ones I like the most, which ones I like the least, and stuff like that, and uh, which, which uh, scents we like as well. Because here's the thing. Be, being clean and smelling good is definitely underrated, Ross. True, it true. It can never be overrated. 
So I'm a big fan of all their stuff. Uh, Bear Stern Man, massively underrated, Ross. <laughs> yes, that is two ends in man. Be sure to use the uh, discount code MTGRANTS to get 15% off of your purchase, and we appreciate you patronizing them. Yeah, that's also, uh, we also appreciate you patronizing us as well. Ross, if they wanted to do some stuff like that, where would they go? So to keep up with me, the best place is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunnids, R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Uh, just one-stop shop to keep up with my content and a good place to ask me questions as I do try to get back to people as I can. Uh, then there, my written content for Star City Games. My articles generally go live on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This week's might go up Wednesday. I was told by our fearless leader, Cedric, um, today because they've got a lot of disruption in the normal schedule of things because of the ban announcement. So uh, he might be shuffling us around a little bit this week. Uh, if I do go up Wednesday, I will tweet out about it. I'm not even sure if this will be up you know, by Tuesday that somebody would miss that. Uh, but uh, this week's article is going to be all about death and taxes and why I think it is well positioned in the early post-ban modern metagame. Uh, so if you're a Leon and Arbiter fan, that'll be a good one for you to check out. Then there is Versus Live, the web show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're on the SCG Twitch channel Tuesday and Thursday afternoons from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we are currently trying to get a modern show together for Thursday. Not sure if it is going to happen. I've got a lot of coordinating to do with the office for things like that. Uh, but that is what we were pushing to try to do. And uh, if that does come to fruition, you, uh, you know, it's going to be a great time. If you can catch us live, we take questions live from the audience. We have a great time. If you can't catch us live, you can find the VODs on the SCG YouTube channel. Uh, they go up the following day at 5 p.m. Eastern. And then last but not least is my personal stream. I am Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. I've not streamed in a while. It will be coming back soon. Don't worry. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll find out when. Tannen, where can everybody find you if they want to watch you play some of that sweet, sweet cycling deck? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitch for that. It's just Tannen Grace on there. Very easy to find. Uh, I'll probably be playing uh, some standard and a little bit of limited this week to get ready for the open next weekend. The, are the, the arena uh, open. Yeah. Yeah, it's sealed. Your so time I'll to shine, buddy. Well, don't put that kind of pressure on me, Ross. I don't want to. No, I'm just joking. But I'm literally looking forward to the first limited one because that's been the bulk of my magic over the last year. So I think this week's going to be me building a few seals and making sure I'm like mentally ready for it. Because I'll say this: I haven't been in tournament mode a while, and I need to like make sure I can focus for that amount of time. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense to you? you, you oh yeah, yeah. Here? No, it's yeah. a it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, and I think that's like probably going to be my biggest thing here. Is like I think I'll probably build my deck pretty well. I know what cards are good and bad. I know the tricks in the format, but I'm gonna like ADD during one of those. I'm gonna make sure that like nothing else is up on my computer. You know what I mean? Like I might play on like I might turn my other monitor off, kind of thing. So make sure to do that. But if you want to get some more practice in, here are my opinions on the limited format because I have drafted probably like 50 times already in the set. It's amazing. So you should check it out. Check it out on Twitch. Just Tannen Grace on Twitter. I'm at the Tannen Grace. Um, one-stop shop to find everything from me. Uh, and I will say this, you know, the joke about winter is coming. If you follow me on Twitter, baseball's coming. We're three days away from pitchers and catchers reporting. We're 13 days away from the first spring training games for the Atlanta Braves. I will be tweeting about baseball a lot during the baseball season, so I will warn you ahead of time. But there's going to be a lot of magic and stuff in there, too, as well as some other random stuff, too. I talk a lot about pop culture and stuff like that as well. So make sure you check that out. As for the uh, the cast itself, we do have a Twitter. It's the easiest place to find when the new episodes go live. So make sure you follow the Twitter uh, at MTG Rants. Um, we also have the Discord that was mentioned earlier by Ross in a great little uh, segment. Thanks, Ross. I really appreciate that. That makes it easier on me. 
Uh, Discord is super active. Make sure you jump in there. Lots of cool things going on in there. If you want to ask us some of this overrated, underrated stuff, there's a section there to do that. And anyone gets access to that. But if you are a patron, because we do have a Patreon, we have a patron section in there. We have a mailbag submission uh, a spot where, you know, if you want to ask us a direct question of the show, like if you have a question and you're like, I don't want this to be overrated, underrated. I want an actual, like, detailed answer. You can ask us in there. Um, a rant, cool, if you will. Yes, you'll get your own personalized rant. Your name will be read on the on the cast. We'll we'll, we'll read your, your question as well. Uh, y'all been slipping on the mailbag submission the last few weeks, so I need y'all to up that game a little bit more. One game that hasn't been slipping is the food section has been on fire for this whole Keep year. Keep that up. Yeoman Yo- 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 Five is back. Yeoman Yo- Five had like left the Discord for some reason for a little while or something like something happened, but he's back and uh, he he brings he brings the fire every day. So I need somebody to keep up with him. Uh, make sure you follow him on. Uh, I think he writes for TCG, right? I do not know. I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember exactly where he write he writes for, but make sure you check out his content too, especially if you like standard. He's always got his finger to the pulse of all that stuff. So. Uh, make sure you look for his, for his articles and stuff out there too. And then his, his cooking. He's also always almost always got the the Latin flair to his food as well. And I'm just I'm just a big fan. Like who doesn't love Latin inspired food? Some it's some of the best, right? Oh yeah. So yeah, Latin and Asian food. I could just live with that for the rest of my life. And maybe a little Italian. Give me some pasta. But uh, anyway, uh, we appreciate everyone who listens to the show, especially our patrons. And like we said, we got some cool rewards coming y'all's way soon. Um, we'll probably be sending out the old tokens along with their rewards and some other cool stuff. We're still working on it. We got we got the prototype in the other day, and uh, it's 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 been up to up to specs, I believe, because Brent has it in his hands. Usually Ross has it, but Brent has it in his hands, and he liked it. So uh, that's generally forward. better. Yeah, he's, he's probably a better judge of that. Um, we'll have to see when the show will come out. We're recording this on Monday. I talked to Brent earlier. He doesn't have power right now because he's in the Dallas area, and they got a really bad storm. Yeah. So hopefully. For his, for his own reasons, I hope that the power is only out for a small amount of time. But then for selfish reasons, I hope we can get this out as soon as possible with all the stuff for the, the ban and, and, and announcement stuff. But anyway, um, thanks for listening this week. We appreciate every one of you. We'll, uh, we'll see you all next week.